0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 175 of Squared Circle Gazette Radio, I am Liam O'Rourke and I am about to be joined for part 1B of our series looking at the WWF in 1993 by the great Kyle Ross who joined me last week for part 1A of this series. We are continuing today our look at January up to WrestleMania 9 in the World Wrestling Federation in 1993 and we are going to be covering today the return of Hulk Hogan to the promotion, his feud uh, with Money Incorporated alongside Brutus the Barber Beefcake as well well As Bret Hart's run so far as the WWF champion leading up to his world title match with Yokozuna at WrestleMania, as well as a little bit of fancy booking, things they could have done that may have been a little bit more palatable than what we got uh, in Caesar's Palace. So I'm going to throw right away now to myself and Kyle Ross part 1B of our series covering the WWF in 1993.
1: All right, but of course, Liam, when it comes to the coming and going section, specifically the coming part, hey-oh, hey uh, the, the big returnee. Slash debut is not Timmy and Tommy the Turtle, though it is, of course, Hulk Hogan is back. And his bargaining power was said to increase uh, tremendously due to the shitty Survivor Series and Royal Rumble (laughs) buy rates. Uh, Although the Rumble, Liam, a legit sellout in Sacramento and actually did more buys than the previous year
0: yeah I like that and considering like the two cards and what was on the line in the previous one, granted, I know that we you know that, that there is something to be said for the growing pay universe at this time, but still more people bought the ninety three Rumble with really what we talked about in the you know, very little kind of intrigue in the bit of pe like the 92 Rumble, the title's on the line, and everyone's going for it with that that ensemble cast
1: and the legacies, right I mean yeah it, it always yeah. makes me ill like i I feel like <laughs> that I'm always pretty good at understanding. Even if I didn't like something, why pay-per-view X drew more than pay-per-view Y. Mm. But that is a real head-scratcher, although this may tell part of the story why um, the Rumble 93 was up. It was cheaper than Survivor. They reduced the price, apparently. Mm. So expanding pay-per-view universe, cheaper price. Uh, By the way, buy rates versus actual number of buys is a discussion we're going to have in part two because I think it's really interesting when comparing Wrestlemania's eight and nine as well not just Rumble's 92 and 93 because there's the numbers are really interesting early 92 versus early 93 but let's get back to Hulk Hogan uh, shall we Liam all right before Hogan's return Dave Meltzer wrote the following in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Quote, WrestleMania will be Hart versus Yokozuna, Luger versus Perfect, Crush versus Doink, and Steiners versus Money Inc. Expect no record setting buy rates on this. (laughs) And, you know, Liam, to back up what Dave wrote there, you can see with that kind of card why Titan so
0: desperately wanted Hogan back in the fold at this time. Oh, absolutely. Because I do think there was a chance for a record setting buy rate, but just not the record that they were looking to break. Yeah, yeah, obviously. So,
1: um, you know, and it would go on and still do uh,
0: the lowest buy
1: rate Mania history. But again, more on that in part two. But before Hulk Hogan makes his return to WWF television, he was on television uh, and making various media appearances, you know. uh, And he was doing what he does best, not wrestle, but lie to the media. (laughs) And I'm going to go ahead and credit Scott Keith here. I pulled uh, a large amount of these recaps from these uh, from these various kind of media appearances from his observer recap. So some of the ver- verbiage I'm using actually it, it's not Dave Meltzer; it, credit goes to Scott Keith. I just want to credit that out there. I'm always mm-hmm. an honest man. So anyway, Hogan did a talk show on TNN. This is when it was the Nashville network still on January fourth, where he blamed time constraints on the Arsenio Hall for forcing him to forget about all the other steroid usage he was going to talk about.
0: (laughs) That's amazing.
1: Hogan's new claim is that, yes, perhaps he did experiment with steroids for a while, but it's the fault of the medical profession for saying it was okay. And once he found out about all the bad things steroids did, he stopped cold turkey. Also, Hulk says he's going to return to Japan, not the WWF, in 1993. Also, the rock and wrestling connection was all his idea, and he had to convince Vince to play Eye of the Tiger as his entrance theme in 84.
0: <laughs> I like how, like, after that first line, Hogan did a talk show on the National Network on, on January 4th. There not a single... Bit of that that's true. Not a single <laughs> bit of honesty, not a single bit of accuracy, not a single thing that he just said was true. No. And what's also amazing
1: is, you know, it, we, we talked about this in the makeover section, right? And uh, how Hogan was, uh, you know, made an appearance in the Michael Landon Awards. That was several months later uh, after this particular interview. But it's funny how, you know, once he's back in the fold in WWF, He goes from oh well, I had to convince Vince to do everything in the Rock and Wrestling Connection, play Eye of the Tiger, and then all of a sudden in March, uh, Vince McMahon is not just Hulk's friend but his hero.
0: His hero? (laughs) Yes.
1: So funny how that did. Two months later, you know,
0: it it is funny how things change. Yeah,
1: I had to convince Vince to do all that. Oh, he's actually my hero. Uh,
0: Okay. (laughs) Oh, it was Uh, all his idea. It was all I am. I am just merely a (laughs) pawn.
1: All right, Liam, but Hogan changed his tune.
0: He uh, on steroid use in a, another
1: uh, talk to the media, you want to
0: talk about that? Yes, for sure. So this, not only does Hogan's uh, viewpoint on Vincent Mann change quite drastically, Uh, But he changed his story on the steroid use, finally copping to using them uh, through the 1980s in a recent interview he did, uh, but blaming the medical profession for flip-flopping on their legality. So somewhat similar to what we heard before. Uh, Dave notes uh, in The Observer that had he just said this 18 months ago on Arsenio, the wrestling world would be a drastically different place, which is certainly a feeling that we echoed uh, on those podcasts previously as well. However, while Meltzer does appreciate Hogan's sudden burst of honesty... Uh, that's liberal use of the term with regards to this subject he would also like to point out that hogan continues to be full of shit on the subject of the legality of what he was doing since steroids were legal in the 1980s in air quotes it's a huge myth and most of what he was doing had been deemed illegal years before the scandals even started
1: yeah let's clarify here okay yes. melzer goes into a big diatribe in this in the observer pointing out that The wrestlers using the it was legal when I did it is a weak is not only a weak defense, but it's also untrue because (laughs) steroids prescribed by a doctor for a specific medical condition was legal. But when you buy them via FedEx from a Mark doctor without a prescription, that's always been illegal. And that's what the wrestlers were doing in the
0: 80s, (laughs) including Hulk Hogan, long after the laws changed, as they say.
1: Yes. Plus. Dave. Would like to clarify, possessing and/or transporting drug paraphernalia, i.e., needles, has always been illegal. So, in sum, it was legal back in the eighties. Has never been was never true. Never was. There you go.
0: No, I don't believe that one of the medical conditions that required steroids to be legal was to get twenty-four inch pythons. So that's another <laughs> no, no, small yeah, little caveat there. I believe that the the rule for it to be prescribed by a doctor was that if there was a legitimate medical concern bodybuilding does not fall under that umbrella and it never did
1: no no it didn't uh, so don't so I I apologize to the listeners I don't have the uh, media outlet where Hogan actually did change his tune on the steroid use there but we do uh, this is the register star uh, that he does an interview with that answering kids questions uh, he first said he weighed 275 pounds now because he has been quote eating a lot of cheeseburgers. Oh yeah. But then he, I mean, he even then flip flops his story when he's answering questions with children, because he would go later go on to say, "I quote, I eat three to four times per day, and I eat nothing but good food. When you get a little older, you can't eat as much fattening stuff." So, so much for the cheeseburgers, I guess. Hmm. Uh, Hogan would also claim his biceps are still twenty four inches, and that he can bench five hundred pounds.
0: Yeah. Again, we can. T- <laughs> I can bullshit these kids. They don't know any better. Yeah.
1: Um, well, and OK, does Vince McMahon know any better? Because Hogan bullshit him a little bit, it seemed, <laughs> before As a shameful negotiating ploy, Hogan just happened to be eating at a restaurant, not a cheeseburger, I'm sure, on the <laughs> bottom floor of CNN Center. Although Dave would like to clarify, there are still no official talks between Hogan and WCW, despite there being reports at the time.
0: Yeah, there is some, there is some talk in those early observers about how Hogan's basically just ship, you know shopping himself around, and we you know this would be the Hogan playbook for years and years to come. We would see this like a decade you know, a decade later and beyond, where that you know this is how you get Vince to sweat. This is the Hogan mentality. If you ship yourself around to the competitors, Vince will come calling. There's an urgency to it, you know. Mm-hmm. And of course, Hulk uh, would in fact go down south uh,
1: the next year, but. Uh, Before we get to that, let's talk 1993. Let's return to where we uh, love best, WWF television, Liam, because Hogan, of course, does agree to return to Titan. That's where he was going to go. He wasn't going to go to WCW in 93. And of all the ways to bring Hulk Hogan back to WWF television in 1993, they use Brutus the fucking barber. (laughs) The friends at the end. Beefcake makes his own return to TV on February 8th on Raw. And it, was it me? Or did they kind of seemingly no-sell the whole barbershop run the previous year? Oh, and yeah, the yeah, like it never happened. Had been, yeah, like it was just like acting, oh, Brutus, you know, we, the, tell us about this parasailing accident. Where have you been this whole time? Even yeah. though he, like literally in the build the mainy the previous year, he was on television. He was doing a weekly talk show on their television. <laughs> Some very memorable angles happened on that television. Yes, the barbershop window still lives to this day. So Brutus Beefcake, yes, the friend to the end, makes his return to WF television on February 8th. And he cuts a live promo on Raw where he talks about his parasailing accident, his parents dying, and his wife leaving him. Quote, I didn't know what to do next, Brutus said. <laughs> this got over so well in the building, Liam, that a fan <laughs> in the Manhattan Center yelled, what?
0: <laughs> go kill yourself.
1: Yes, go kill <laughs> yourself. Uh, How both Brutus and Vince didn't just corpse in the ring when that happened, because it is very audible it's one person you can hear a pin drop during this promo it's so bad and somebody just yells <laughs> go kill yourself to this guy who we're supposed to feel who's like pouring his heart out talking about his parents dying his wife leaving him well his wife ran off with some what like some like like bartenders some 20 year old bartender and
0: took 30? his money
1: yes and took his money Okay, so the whole point of this <laughs> promo was not just Beefcake announcing a return to the ring, more on that in a second, but he clearly was hinting that Hulk Hogan's return would be imminent because they were mentioning Hulk Hogan in a way that would lead you to believe, okay, you know, we're going to see Hulk because Beefcake was talking about how Hulk had been there for him yeah, the whole time. Yeah. yeah, and the Hogan they had talked about that the previous year with those very odd promos that yeah, we made we a lot of the that. time when they were like laying in bed together and stuff, I don't know what that was, <laughs> but it was very like they were just explicitly mentioning Hogan, you know, and they wouldn't have done that, Liam, if they didn't have Hogan in the bag and he wasn't coming back.
0: Yeah, this is this is the again. This are things around this time that are kind of demonstrative of the way Vince operates, and this is a good one in the sense that you do not mention his name on television unless he's going to be there. Now that said, this promo sucks. I mean, I don't know if we've done justice to just how bad it sucks. Vince McMahon opens it up, introducing one of the all time greats. <laughs> And that comes Bruce Beefcake. And not only, not only does the gravity of this promo get totally lost for that all-time amazing heckle, and I love things like that because this this will happen sometimes, every now and then, and there's another classic that I'm just going to bring up briefly where Dustin Rhodes on, like, Roy, like, 98, burns the gold dust suit in a bin, and he's trying to get over, you know, you've made me do this, Vince McMahon, and why? And he's, like, doing, again, the pouring his heart out promo and then, and the crowd doesn't care. And there's just one guy in the crowd who just screams, It's because you're a f... Oh my god! I forgot that that happened! <laughs> <laughs> and then as, as, as Dustin tries to get back on track, the same fan heckles again. He goes, It's because you're a... Rhodes! <laughs> it's pretty bad. But this, and this is exactly the same. They're doing this promo. He, he, it's Beefcake, I feel like he peters out about halfway through... Maybe he's just not used to this live environment. Clearly not used to this live environment on the live the the way this was done anyway. Because he just he wilts, and when that heckle happens, he wilts even more. Beefcake walks off like it's over, looking miserable. Like he knows that was not what it needed to be.
1: And sure enough, they
0: basically
1: redo the promo in a studio environment. I couldn't believe this. I've not seen this before. I, I messaged you. I said, this was unbelievable. Like, cause it was on our compilation. It was like the next thing or, or maybe there was something in between, but it, it wasn't much. But yeah, the promo is so ineffective that Beefcake cut on Raw. They redo it in a
0: studio setting with Vince basically cutting the promo for Beefcake. <laughs> It's like it's the it's the yeah, it is exactly what you can tell he wanted Beef to do on RAW. He clearly didn't do it to Vince's liking, he didn't do it to anybody's liking. Vince does the entire promo. And Brutus, again, taped environment in a studio, no live feedback from the audience. Brutus gets like two passing lines in, and Vince just does all the work. And it's yeah. like that that'll do.
1: <laughs> it, 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 it's like your wife left you, right? And Beefcake's like nodding, yes. Your parents died, <laughs> didn't they? That's
0: correct. Yes. Yep.
1: Yep. Correct. You were deed <laughs> in the face by a parent. Yes. Like it was like Beefcake <laughs> was basically like a child. It was the same studio, by the way, that Hogan kind of cut his farewell promo in before yeah. May eight, and wouldn't be the last time that studio was used uh, during this time period. We'll get to that momentarily. So, Beefcake the point of the promo was not to just come out necessarily and just draw sympathy for you know how, how his life had turned but he was announcing his own return to the yes. ring and he kind of just like lays out an open challenge and it is accepted at the end of that episode February 8th by Money Incorporated.
2: Eddie
1: yeah. DiBiase and, and Iris, as if this couldn't get worse somehow <laughs> and like D.B. and Shyster are sort of arguing about who's going to get the honors of working beefcake. <laughs> Thank God IRS didn't win is all I can say. Yeah, yeah. But uh, they're doing this like saying, ah, eh, this is just going to be a walk in the park. And they're laughing about it. They do so much of the chagrin of manager Jimmy Hart, Liam.
0: Yeah, Jimmy is obviously laying in the uh, pretty thick there. Look, let's not get tied up in this. Let's go and do something else. we 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 got challenges we got to deal with here. Yes, foreshadowing
2: what
1: he's going to do the following week. February 15th, it's Brutus Beefcake and Ted DiBiase. Muddy Inc. would use the briefcase, IRS's briefcase, on Beefcake's face in a heavy heat angle. This episode did a stunning 3.3 rating
0: so mm-hmm. as much as
1: we're ripping on bruce beefcake here they popped the rating doing this and in the aftermath it was very clear hulk hogan was going to return to uh, wf television the following week
0: absolutely now i i do feel like this is uh th- this should get a little bit of discussion because i actually really like the way this goes <laughs> like this angle yes. is actually pretty good, and it was actually pretty memorable to me as a kid.
1: I agree. I messaged you after watching. I was like, you know, I know we're going to shit on this on the podcast, but the angle in a vacuum was done very well. You want to, like, go through it, like, how the whole thing went down?
0: Yeah, Just... so basically what happens here is it's Beefcake DBRC. Beefcake's looking pretty good. The match is going on until IRS levels him in the back with the briefcase. Disqualification. Money ink put in the boots to Brutus. this.
1: Yeah, just real quick, it's very short too. Like Yeah, oh funny. yeah, it
0: doesn't go long.
1: Like I, I mean no one's complaining because brother Brudin's <laughs> nope. it. But it's kind of funny that it was this heavily hyped thing. I mean, the match itself goes can't go more than a couple minutes.
0: No, if that nah, no, it's very it's, we're at the very early stages of you know, drop down, hit the ropes when IRS levels him. So um they're, they're getting they're getting the, the kicks in on BPA. DBRC holds his arms behind his back and IRS has the briefcase in the corner. And as he's doing this, Jimmy Hart is is again kind of waving his arms around and I like, say, no, 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 no. We don't need to do this. Don't need to do this. It's going too far. Don't do this. Don't do this. And they keep kind of shoving him out the way and they keep teasing that he's going to do it. And Jimmy just keeps getting in the way until eventually IRS just grabs him and just like throws him out the ring pretty viciously, actually. Yeah, and Jimmy uh, took a nice bump there. Yeah. He did. He did. And with no one else to help, IRS just absolutely swings for the fences on this poor fucker. <laughs> And he levels him in the forehead. And he sells it well. I feel like the announcers sell it well. Everybody comes out. They they take him to the back. And after they take him to the back, they do the, the slow zoom in on the canvas where you get to see blood on the canvas, the, the, the bloodstained mat, presumably from Beefcake. So that's how this angle ends here. So before I get on to my next little point that I'm going to touch on, your thoughts on the way that this was done at this point?
1: Yeah, all I'll add is the sound... I don't know if like IRS just for once in his life did something right and just struck it like it just did it in a way that it just made. But it made the perfect sound. Oh, yeah. it's for, a gun what, Yeah. Um, so it was great and it drew good heat. I remember at the time, um, you know, I, I didn't watch it live because I, I wasn't watching Raw live yet at this point. I, I would get all the recaps uh, on Mania. At this point, because we only had one. T- My parents monopolized the TV on Monday nights, so we only had one cable TV. I've told this story, I think, many times mm-hmm. before on podcasts. But I remember watching, I was like, whoa. Like, I mean, it, it was a heavy heat angle designed to make you think Money, Inc. were like the most dastardly heels in the
0: business. Yeah, and, and, and that, that's certainly and, how and, I took and, it too, seeing and, it in the same and, format you did.
1: You know, we can bitch about money ink all we want. And, you know, but yeah, I mean, it was like, oh my God, you're supposed to hate them and you're supposed to want Hulk Hogan to come back. And my God, Bruce Beefcake's face must be in a million pieces backstage. And, you know, Hogan's going to be out for blood. And I know this is what you're going to get to. They immediately kill the heat for this angle.
0: I couldn't fucking believe it when I watched it back. Like I said, I had not. I did not remember this. I've seen this episode in its entirety before, but I just clearly washed out of my head because it wasn't really something that I was trying to analyze at the time. But looking at it again, I mentioned before about the execution of the, the Doink crush angle, good as it was, but then kind of not liking the inconsistency of kind of baby facing Doink with the Bartlett pie incident. We mentioned that earlier on. This is another one. This is like the second of a few instances on this podcast. This angle is really good. It feels so serious. Until they come back from commercial break. At which point, Vince says, Well, after all, that Bruce beefcake is actually okay, and he'll probably be back next week. Like I I was shocked by that. Why? I mean, like, f-
1: that is something you would hear like in like you would expect that in modern wrestling, right? Yeah. Where they don't sell the angle enough. Do you think, you know, because you referenced the joint crush point. This just came to my mind. Remember we, like, talked about – I we kind of brushed it off. Like, the New York Daily News was, like, giving them shit for, like, exploiting paralysis right after an NFL player, uh, Dennis Bird.
2: Did, yeah. Do you
1: think they were afraid that they, like – they wanted to do a heavy heat angle, but then they were, like, nervous about, like, anyone buying it or thinking they were exploiting it? So they're like, okay, yeah, what an angle. Oh, but he's not, like, really hurt. Do you think that's what it was? Or, I like, think that, I,
0: that that's you the may only have...
1: explanation I could come up with because it was stunning that Vince said that.
0: Yeah, I, there may be something to that because there were, of the three heavy heat angles they run during this build, two of them get a backlash. And during this period of time where you can tell Vince is so image-conscious. All three? Yeah. The third
1: one we haven't talked about does, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I that's what I'm saying. This is the one that almost doesn't, at least not that I hmm. know of, because... Oh, god. Uh, probably duh, because yeah. they they dial back on it so damn much but like i feel like because vince is so image conscious this is like okay i can see there being something to that but again even afterwards in the aftermath of you know, okay yeah so beefcake's fine he's going to be here next week we'll see what what the deal is in the promos they really really play on the idea that well it was the intent of what they were trying to do not the act that that's, that's really disgusting here with money inc it's like who the fuck cares about the intent? That the only thing that made... that No one cares about the intent, because no one cares about money, ink, and beefcake. The act is what will draw people into care. And if, if it's the act that's not a big deal, then who the fuck cares? And we're going to come back to this yeah. at the
1: end. Like, why even do this angle if you're going to kill me? Like, th- there, this isn't a great way to bring Hulk Hogan back anyway, obviously. No. So, you know... If you're gonna shit on the heat for bringing him back, I just I don't know. It's it's head scratching. But the point is Hulk Hogan's coming back. Okay. Yes. Now before Hogan makes his Raw debut, he does a studio interview with Vince. This aired I think on every TV show. Yeah, that week. Um, and it's in that same studio that be- <laughs> where Vince cut the promo for Beefcake and Vince and <laughs> Hogan sat a year pr- prior. Hogan yep. saying kind of farewell without saying farewell, and Hogan admits. In this interview, Liam, that he made some mistakes in his personal life, but (laughs) then he just launches into, quote, tabloid terrorism, (laughs) and that there is a new Fifth Amendment, believe in Hulk Hogan.
0: Ah, this promo Kyle Ross. So, yeah, he's in an IcoPro shirt. So that's the first sign that he's just completely sold out. And he's just trying to kiss Vince's ass here to, to get everything he wants. He, Hogan, in this promo, says that the media dug into his past and realized that he's human and says in a, in, a, in a line I love, I'm not afraid to admit I've made mistakes, except for everything he's ever said or done. Uh yeah. He then blames peer pressure in the 60s and 70s for those mistakes, which is quite the the time stretch, and says that due to that aforementioned uh, tabloid terrorism, even if the allegations are false, they report them anyway, which sure sounds to me like he actually is afraid to admit the mistakes that he made.
1: And, I mean, look, we're, you know, talking about this 30 years later here in 2023, you know. Tabloid terrorism, what yeah. does that remind you of?
0: Fake news, ring the yeah, f- alarm.
1: Yeah, f- yeah, it, it, it really is. It's so funny, and, and you can just tell that it's like, okay, maybe we made some mistakes, but you know who you all who you wrestling fans really need to be mad at? Not the wrestlers, it's the media for reporting it,
0: <laughs> and because they'll just say anything, even if it's true or not. So, yeah, it is, well, that's, so the, that's, that's, that's the subtext of this, which is amazing. It's, I am here to try and you know, again. I do not believe it's a coincidence that he does those interviews beforehand where he's again trying to kind of soften the image and soften his stance and then do this as well. They're very clearly conscious of Hogan's image. So it's just amazing that in this, it's not amazing in the sense that it's not unexpected because it's Hogan, but it's like, I'm going to do an interview where I allude to these problems. I, I, am, I mention in passing that I'm not a, a Afraid to admit the mistakes I've made, but it's everybody else's fault. And by the way, the new demandment is believe in everything I say unequivocally.
1: <laughs> Even though I do nothing but lie. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: So after all this, Hulk Hogan walks into the Manhattan Center. I got to throw this at you right here. What do you think after being gone for basically a year? was going through Hogan's mind when he walks into the 1000 seat Manhattan Center and like what do you think he's thinking about the state of the promotion
0: yeah I uh I think he's probably of the mindset that this is kind of ripe for him to look awesome in this environment I think that he's probably he's probably quite aware of the fact that business has changed quite drastically since he's been gone he's he's not an idiot you knows yeah but seeing it and being there it's like hmm I wonder if he's falling for the idea that this is just, you know, something different not a sign of the times, this 1000C building.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, we'll talk about the promo here Mm -hmm. in a little bit. Uh, The return itself, uh, you know, standing room only tickets were being sold to accommodate demand, apparently. Uh, Now, the show itself only did a 3.0 rating, though, which was lower than the Beefcake-Dibiase match. Amazing. Disappointing, and that was a shocker, right? Because obviously, you know, you did the match. To, do, to bring Hogan back, and Hogan coming back was supposed to be the bigger thing. Um, now, they didn't really—they only had hyped Hogan's return on Raw for,
0: what, a couple days? A couple days, think, and when you it, think it, about it, 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 it's like, it, if you're trying to build up to this being the big return, really, the return is the interview with Vince. Yeah, okay, well,
1: remind me, because I don't have it down here in front of me in my notes. They all but said— after Vince killed the Heat in the Angle and said Beefcake was fine. They all but said Hogan was going to be on Raw next week, right?
0: That's kind of how I remember it.
1: Okay. But they didn't explicitly say it. Now, like, I didn't even say something like, oh, Hulk Hogan could be around. Yeah. Or something we'll see, like We'll it, see it, if it, the Hulk's
0: is around. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah. Yeah. And so you got to remember, like, you know, there's no Twitter in 1993. So, like, it is kind of crazy that Hogan's return to television was like, it wasn't hype for weeks, right? So, like, yeah. maybe we shouldn't be shocked by this rating because I think, I don't know, they were just counting on people to figure it out and get there. But anyway, um, <laughs> some in the while there were standing room-only tickets being sold to accommodate the man, uh, not everyone was enamored with the Hulkster. There was a sign in the crowd which read, quote, Hulk Homo? <laughs>
0: You can't go with Hulk Homo. <laughs> also, Even a Hulk Hulk has 90- been sign right there.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, okay, that you can't go with. No, it's Hulk Homo? <laughs> yeah,
0: not, not, not a sign that would hold up well today if it showed up on TV. 1993 New York City, everybody. And, you know, we talked about beefcake, sort of just
1: like corpsing when the fan yelled, go kill yourself. You know, Hogan clearly looked out and saw that sign, which read, and I quote, <laughs> Hulk
0: Homo. <laughs> uh, you know, it was a different time. And uh, you know what? I honestly think he probably would have been far more bothered by the Hulk has been.
1: He probably was. He probably he probably, he probably like went over like "Wicked, Oh, that's pretty funny. You got me, pal. You know,
0: you know? <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, um, just a quick thing me- here. Oh God. The, but, but because I actually think this is actually this is the first time seeing Hogan in the element that he's in here on Raw. Yes, it's probably worth touching briefly on his appearance, his physical appearance, because this is a different Hulk Hogan, and there was not really a point anywhere else in notes kind of bring this up. But like the longer hair, the more slender look—it's strange to see him like this.
2: It is natural. It, it...
0: Yeah, well, more and, natural.
1: And, and it's something they would hit on more as the months would roll on as we got towards King of the Ring. Yeah. Right? Like, they were even, like, they were almost, like, trying to say, oh, this is, like, Hulk's got, like, a new approach to the ring. He's going lighter, like, on yeah. purpose. You know? They're like, and they they were cognizant of it. Yes, he looked very different. And in some of these subsequent interviews we'll talk about. Remember, it was kind of like this in 92. I think we had this conversation where – his look would kind of change every interview. Sometimes he'd look, you know, like the old Hogan, pretty jacked. And other times he'd look, you know, just leaner and, and, and like he was off the gas, I yeah. guess, for lack of a better term. Um, Jimmy Hart uh, has apparently seen the error of his ways. Uh, the longtime heel, I mean, Jimmy Hart, my God. I mean, he came into the promotion when? 84? When something, did Jimmy come into WWF? Something like that, wasn't he, it? I think it was. I, it was. I mean, he was there because th- he was managing Bundy. At the first WrestleMania. So. It, 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 which was obviously. 80, so I mean. But anyway. Jimmy Hart. I mean. Who'd been a heel manager. I mean. Going back to his days. Memphis. You know. Um, he's a baby face now. He, he, he. You know. We talked about that. In his. It, it was. They were. You know. Really hitting you over the head. That he was going to turn babyface With him. Being against Money Inc. Taking the beefcake match. Him trying to stop. Uh, Money Inc. From hitting beefcake. In the face. But like. Hogan brings out jimmy hart and and the reason jimmy hart apparently is a babyface manager is because he does pr work for titan outside the ring and he wanted to turn so he could handle that job better dave says this will probably be kiss of death for jimmy as a manager long term
0: oh yeah as it as it always typically tends to be the babyface manager if he doesn't have somebody to work opposite usually ends up just kind of being you know a spare prick at the wedding type of a thing um jimmy yeah 85 just, just to get that in there, because that was, you know, so a good eight years as a heel, um, you know, seven, eight years, and then finally just turns babyface, and his promo's kind of a lot of nothing, you know, just talking about how this is the greatest day of his life and stuff like that. Um.
1: I, I just, I just got to say, I thought, you know, to, to Dave's and what you said, maybe we can even hit on this in part two um, as it goes along. He was awful in this role. He was, yeah. like, insufferable, and, like, it, it's kind of like we talked about with Sherry, where they just it been a heel so long, it just was just so odd to see
0: Jimmy Hart as a baby. Like it, it just didn't work. No, because Jimmy, Jimmy's whole gimmick, the entire thing, is that like, he's the annoying little runt. Yeah, and, and, and WCW turned him back. Yeah, rightfully so. Eventually.
1: yeah. Oh, absolutely.
0: That's like that's what Jimmy's good. So it's like, yeah, the annoying little runt prick manager who you want to see shut up and get punched in the face with the megaphones it's like he basically just kept the same act but he's with Hogan which isn't great and especially when he doesn't actually have that much to add. And by the way I gotta say this this promo with the three of them in the ring I do I mean Hogan is so leagues ahead in terms of like handling the scene and actually being good in this role. Beefcake who comes out with a pair of sunglasses on walking out in the red and yellow pulls his glasses off and mugs for the camera in what is an all-time least favorite <laughs> moment of mine i when this when i first saw this i just like it's so hokey he's so <laughs> cheesy like and jimmy Hart comes off cheesy and hogan is just a different class even though he's still like the you know, the, the unbearable Hogan we know calling vince a little dude i did appreciate i thought that was amusing. that was <laughs> oh, good
1: the way, like, Vince was, like, looking at Hogan, it, it wasn't just, like, welcome back, my god. There, I think there was lust in his eyes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, gee, he was, like, just, like, you know, I fucking the Hulkster. Oh,
0: no, absolutely, he's got that, uh, that's that's probably the word, the fuck-me-eyes for yeah. Hogan.
1: It, it was and, like uh, he was looking at Sean in
0: 96. Yeah, it is. It's like the the weird thing is, he gets this kind of like weird, like psycho stare on his face. He's looking at him. It's like a
1: smile. Yeah,
0: that's the one. I
1: just love this guy.
0: It's like he's, I'm just captivated, but he just looks like a, just, just, just not good. There's an awful lot of uh, of beefcake and Hogan thanking the big man upstairs, which I don't think is Kamala on the balcony, just for edification. Um, and, and that's pretty much kind of like all they have to say is like just we'll call ourselves the Mega Maniacs. And again, very very cheesy. This whole vibe comes off so cheesy.
1: Yeah, we had the Mega Powers once upon a time. Incredible, you know, uh, story with Hogan and Savage that unfolded over the course uh, of, you know, over a year and a half. Yep. Uh, in 92, we had the ultimate maniacs, Warrior and Savage. Uh, that did not last long and was not good.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> not quite We've... so incredible.
1: No, we ripped on that just being like a ripoff of the Mega Powers, basically. Well, here, I mean, you talk about a ripoff. We've got now the Mega Maniacs. And I'm just going to ask this question. It's fairly rhetorical in nature, but we're going to spend a lot of time talking about it. How fucking terrible were the Mega Maniacs? (laughs) First off, you're correct in noting that, like, Beefcake and Jimmy Hart as sort of like ancillary pieces to the Hogan return just dragged the whole package down they were awful yeah they said it it almost was like Hogan was just like letting them have their turns to speak because he had to because they were there yeah but then like Hogan would immediately try to save the interview or make it interesting again because like everything they said was just awful and
0: like (laughs) fell flat and go ahead no, no, I was going to echo everything you said, that they have really nothing to add to this package at all. It, they, you know, Jimmy Hart as babyface manager—it's for PR, but he doesn't actually, you know, as we'll talk about, doesn't actually last that much longer in Titan in the first place. This very much does feel like hitching hitching his uh, hitching his wagon to Hogan more than yes. anything else.
1: Yes, well, because you know Jimmy probably looks around and there's not a lot of people left that from the mm-hmm. Glory period, right? Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, more on that later. We're gonna have a very interesting discussion about that uh, as it pertains to Hogan. Um, but to me, we, and, well, you know why they have nothing to say. By the way, first off, it's because they killed the fucking heat of the angle. Beefcake's <laughs> yeah. out there mugging for the cameras. Face is fine, so it's like, why are you back? Hulk? Like, it's like, okay, it's great to have Hulk Hogan back, but your friend his face, <coughs> pardon me, it was kind of fucked up. But it seems like he's okay now. He's mugging for the camera like a goof and you know like jimmy hart he's just freaking happier in a pig and shit so i mean i it just seemed like it was pointless and they're just like they've got nothing to really say and to me liam as, as you're just watching the general television unfold once the mega maniacs that, that are on tv you know they become the centerpiece of the television between late February and WrestleMania 9. I felt like this act almost single-handedly put the promotion in reverse.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I agree. It's funny because you can see Vince's idea that this is going to bring back the good old days and the, the, the good times, whereas actually all it did was bring back, you know, it brought back Hulk Hogan, I guess, but the act itself just... It pumps the brakes on the last three months of genuine work they've been doing, at least three months, but since Brett got the belt, of moving this promotion in a new direction. We talked earlier on about how this whole thing raw feels like a new WWF with all the you know, a new champion, new stars, We're all trying to get him over all at the same time. And here comes Hogan, which is, you know, fine and could have worked in, in his place if, if, if it'd been used better. But this act. Is atrocious and Brutus in the all these promos. Obviously, this isn't the only one they do. They do the taped interviews that air on television. He's just screaming like a complete bell end the whole time. <laughs> he's <sighs> awful. And 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 Hogan just says whatever absolute nonsense he can conjure up to disguise the fact he's working with beefcake and money Inc. at WrestleMania. Hogan at one point, as you say, he, d- he does claim to have backed a steamroll over Brutus' face to test the new mask, which is their uh, ace in the hole. Yes, we should talk
1: about – so, yes, there is a promo where – again, and the problem – they're, like, laughing at Brutus. They're not, like, concerned. Like, you would think, oh, my God, Brutus, your face. Are you sure you want to wrestle Yeah, WrestleMania? Are you sure? But, no, they find his goofy-ass mask, put it on him, and they just laugh how money and can't do anything to him now. And, yeah, they, they joke about – it's so nonsense. It's so ridiculous. Like, how Beefcake just laid in the middle of the road – uh, you know, on the Pacific Coast Highway, and Hogan drove a fucking tank over his face. They
0: actually <laughs> say this. Yeah, they do. This is, and this it goes back to that thing we we're talking about with Mania and Todd Pettengill, where it's like they clearly think that the way to appeal to whether it's kids or whether it's like this whole over from the eighties, just act like a complete dickhead. Just talk loud, talk crazy, and that will get over. And it just seems so out of place now and it's only really been a year since he's been around doing his thing but it's just it's a different it feels like a different world and it marched to wrestlemania the show we we mentioned before right before wrestlemania they do a podium promo with gene that is just oh my god it's just unspeakable (laughs) hogan Hogan claims to have gone fishing and grabbed two hammerhead sharks out of wherever the fuck he was fishing with his bare hands to take them to a pool in Las Vegas to throw money in with them, and then just starts rambling about how he wants all the female Hulkamaniacs to make sure they have an even tan. Like, he just completely falls off a cliff. And again, like you say... The only
1: excuse for this promo is that they were both on drugs. You (laughs) you would think so. If they were not on
0: drugs, then this is maybe the worst promo I've ever seen in wrestling history. And this is the go-home promo for WrestleMania. Yes, and and this is it. And again, it's it's more of the same. You mentioned before, and it's it's dead on. Jimmy Hart and Beefcake add nothing to this. They actually they are active that they actively detract from Hogan. And yes, he does in this March to WrestleMania promo again. He gives them like equal time. They all get like two turns to talk, and they've got nothing to add. And when Hogan gets a chance, he's got like I say, he's just he's just off his fucking rocker and just saying. And again, it's that thing like he used to be able to get away with stuff like this. He used to get away with backstroking off the screen and just being completely absurd yeah. Yeah, and you Donald know,
1: Trump, let go of your material possessions. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All that stuff. He could get away with it before, but now it just doesn't feel right. And part of it, again, he looks different. He looks more human. The promotion feels less superhero, you know, uh, based and just feels a bit more, again, we've got a very real normal world champion now. And it's just, it just feels very, very out of context. So much of this is. The mask itself obviously could have worked as an idea if they bothered to sell the injury in the first place, which is nice. And, um, and I also want to point out, we should say, we will be talking about Brett shortly, but the Mega Maniacs versus Money Inc. was promoted as one half of the dreaded double main event. Always a sign that Vince is happy with his champion. Yeah. yeah. Um, they, they, they hit that point quite a few times. And, uh, and, and on one final note, I will say just in case it wasn't obvious from what we're saying how one-sided this tag team is there is an awesome mega maniacs video package that airs on superstars which is just wonderful because it's hogan's music with mega maniacs the word mega maniacs flashing on the screen and it's just hogan's entrances him looking awesome spliced in with clips of beefcake getting his ass kicked It just looks so ridiculous. Like, look how awesome Hulk Hogan is, and look how awful Beefcake is.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, pretty much the thread here. You know, it's funny. Uh, There's an adage, of course, in the NFL. If you have two quarterbacks, you don't really have any. Mm. Second year in a row at WrestleMania, we're going with the double main event. You know, this is a modern critique, right? Yeah. You know, say what you want about the modern WWE, and there are so many fair critiques to make. But, like, they've gotten a lot. Better in the last like two years when they had like one, when like Roman Reigns was the clear main event, right? Now, of yep. course, they're fucking going in reverse with that, you know, going Obviously. back to two world champions. But yeah, like when you don't have one clear main event, uh, you know, it, it's it, it just to me is a uh, it, it's not a good thing. I, I think I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a double main event guy. And, yeah, I think it muddied the waters. Of course, we'll talk about the other half of that double main event still to come. Yes, folks, there is still a lot more to discuss here in the first three months of 1993. Now, if you think it's just Liam and I, oh, you guys will fucking bitch about anything with this promotion. (laughs) A whole contraire, mon frere. Uh, It was uh, other people at the time that weren't really buying this Mega Maniacs deal. Liam, the wrestling fans, that is. Hogan and Beefcake were added to a TV taping. They do a dark match against the Beverly Brothers. Okay, now this does not exactly, uh, you know, reading that doesn't make God me want to damn. build a time machine and, and 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 go to the building. But that drew eight thousand people. Only quote, not a good sign, says Meltzer. They should
0: have been thanking their lucky stars they got eight thousand fans yeah. for the Beverly Brothers and Beefcake in a main event.
1: Yeah, and then and of course it was dark, as yeah. I as I just said, it wasn't uh, on TV. But anyway. Here's a real damning thing. Get ready for this. Hogan also worked a house show in Lakeland, Florida, kind of near where his home is. And that draws a, I mean, I have just disappointing here. I, I think I'm going to change my own note. A hideous 2,400 people to see him in Beefcake beat Money, Inc. in a non-title match. Hulk yeah. worked that show as a favor to Gerald Briscoe. But this is an interesting note, and both the Observer and Torch said the same thing. So it's not somebody being biased. Bret Hart was the one who got the biggest babyface reaction at that house show in Lakeland, Florida.
0: Oh, the winds are, the winds have changed. They're kind of blowing through. 2,400 for Hogan's— we yeah, have one of Hogan's first matches in a year is frightening and should have been ringing alarm bells right there.
1: Yeah, um— Talk about alarm bells! I don't know if anything ever came of this, but at one point on Monday Night Raw, Vince McMahon said during a live match that President Clinton was c- considering appointing Hogan head of the President's Council on Physical Fitness. I tried looking up to see if this ever happened. I could this not get an
0: answer. This has got to be bullshit. Okay. <laughs> this, th- this is this is what led to the Arnie impression from Bartlett.
1: Yeah, but but yeah, <laughs> Vince said it. But who knows? Uh, anyway, all right, I'm going to steal a take from. Chris Zellner of Between the Sheets, he and David Dixon's fan obviously do a kind of similar thing. Looking, They they look back at history just in one week and they look at all promotions, not WWF. But they covered this time period. I don't know. It was a few years ago. I remember listening to it. And it, it was, I, I think we had already started our 1990 series and I knew we might get to this point. So it's something I made a mental note of that he said this. He said that Hogan and Beefcake versus Money Inc. The whole feud just felt like, going back into a time warp mm. because you mentioned that the promotion was trying all these new things in hogan's absence and it was just like oh it's it's like hulk hogan feuding with the multi-million dollar man again like it was 1987
0: again <laughs> the multi. Mil- well that's it I, but just before we move on from that point because i do like this this feud hogan and beefcake versus money inc if you said that this is going back to a time warp what, what kind of period of time do you think this is warping back to, in your mind, when you watch this?
1: Well, the late 80s.
0: Late 80s. I, I associate this with, like, this feels very much to me like the Hogan tugboat earthquake Bravo thing that we talked about. Of oh, like, yeah, because it's, it's not it's, over. It's, it's, it's the- not over. No one's over but Hogan, and it's not going to draw. It's like they didn't learn at all.
1: You're right. You're right. Like, they they didn't, like, they were just hoping, I guess, like, eh. Well, all right. Let's, you're right. They were hoping, I guess, to capture lightning in a bottle, but Hogan didn't have any more. And you're right. It was just reminiscent of, like, I think Hogan and Tugboat versus Earthquake and Bravo is an excellent correlation to what it actually is. I'm sure that wasn't what they wanted it to be. No, 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 no. But I want to mention a conversation I had once with someone in the business. Yes. In the wrestling business. And I think it's very instructive because I think there's probably a lot of people listening to us right now, Liam, saying, "Well, why the fuck would they choose Money Inc. Mm-hmm. and Brutus Beefcake as like the the you know the dance partners for Hogan's comeback match?" I, I I was talking to this person. Oh goodness, this was several years ago. At this point, at least, at least it was. Yeah, it had to be over four years ago. And I remember, um, you know, talking about. Uh, did that, a tra- yeah, it was, it was, it was, two- was it 2018 or 19 that Shawn Michaels had his comeback match in Saudi Arabia? Uh I think it was 18. Okay, well, it was around that time. And it was clear that they were kind of teasing Shawn was going to come back because he was like, did they wrestle, Triple H and Undertaker, like, wrestled in Australia first? Yeah, that did they- hideous okay, match. Okay, that, that match sucks too. And then the, the, the subsequent tag match in Saudi Arabia is obviously much worse. But, like. I remember, you know, and Undertaker winds up teaming with Kane, right? It's Taker and Kane versus Shawn and Hunter. And I remember talking to this person being so disgusted that that was Shawn Michaels' return match. Like, just like, after, I was like, of all the fucking things they could do, I was like, mm-hmm. why would you not do Hunter and Shawn versus like Gargano and Champ? Foolish me, okay? I used to be naive just like <laughs> the rest of you once upon a time. You know, why not do that in NXT or something like that? And... This person, you know, uh, who you know knows the powers that be a lot more more than I do and and knows the machinations of this business, he told me this. He said, when these guys come back, you have to understand, these guys have egos and they don't want to look shitty. So what do they do? They want to work with people they're comfortable with. And I think Hogan looked around at 1993 WWF and he didn't recognize a whole hell of a lot of people. But he recognized Ted DiBiase. He knew fucking beefcake and IRS weren't going to take his heat. So I think he was just like, "Okay, let's just do this." And you know, I'm Hulk Hogan, and I can carry it. But I I, I think that's why we got this program.
0: I think I think that there's there is there's definitely smoke to that because not only is that assessment correct from the individual that you spoke with but you can not to skip ahead we're not talking wrestlemania 9 on this this show but when you actually watch that match the amount of time that hogan is actually working with irs is like surprisingly like minimal he's it's basically mostly dbrc in the ring with him
1: yeah that's a great point so yeah i mean i mean and we're about to talk about where i think we're about to have the um six million dollar question the multi-million dollar question if you will uh-huh mm-hmm. but yeah Uh, Anyway, we need to point out one little uh, storyline thing, just tie up one loose end. So, obviously, it's Hogan and Beefcake challenging Money, Inc. for the tag team titles. Yes, that's something else we need to point out. Hulk Hogan is challenging for the tag team titles in his return match at WrestleMania. uh, To allow that match to happen, the Nasty Boys, who were the number one contenders uh, at the time for the tag titles, they graciously stepped aside and allowed the Mega Maniacs to challenge Money, Inc. instead.
0: Yeah, and, and, and Hulk never did forget uh, what Brian Nobbs did for him because apparently they're still <laughs> friends today.
1: Yeah, wow. that was the, You know, the best thing Brian Nobbs ever did <laughs> yeah. for seeking that WrestleMania 9 tag title shot.
0: It was, it was. And I got, I, got to, I got to just chime in here as well. Another fucking problem that I have with this feud, this is like the, again, double main event, right? Money, Inc. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like after this big angle, this supposed big angle where they briefcase... Beefcake in the face. It wasn't that like they ramped them up as this big main event threat. They do this tag match on Raw It's this this famous team of El Matador and world beater Virgil. Last getting Jobber connection. Yeah, yeah. Last scene getting pillared by Luger in a minute. And they do this match on Raw, and Money Inc. just get their shit kicked out of them the whole match, and then they just win with like a trip from the outside and one back suplex. And it's like, why on earth are you having Money Inc. look so. Mid card, if this is such a big deal. And not to forget the fact they did a completely pointless angle where Money Inc. defend against high energy, Kogo gets taken away, and they're just double teaming Owen, and Bret Hart randomly runs in to just run them off. Happens for no reason, goes nowhere. And combine that with the Virgil Matador match where Money Inc. just look like they have no business being in the main event at all. It just I, it it's, it just brings Hogan down so much.
1: Well, and I mean, you think about what Money Inc. were before this story started. They, were, I mean, they were just like you know the ta- tag team champions were never a big deal in this promotion, right? Everyone, no. has, everyone who came up in this business in the '80s and before always talks about how the WWF is the one promotion where tag teams were never main eventers. Yeah. And so it's sort of like I I don't know. They I mean, you, you know, you, you can only uh, what's the, you you can only shine a turd so much, right? I mean, money <laughs> Inc. I mean, they're not I mean, we shit on them. They're they're it's it was not a good act to begin with. And so, I don't know, I think Brett and Owen, there may have been a dark match against Money Inc. that led to, but again, I mean, that that's, I mean, for WrestleMania, that's, point, that's a fucking dark match in a TV taping. And I could be wrong on that, too. I'm, I'm going to look that up here in a second to see if, if there actually was a, a Hart Brothers versus Money Inc. match or, or not. But here's the multi-million dollar question, Liam. I'm going to go on a limb and presume that uh, Money Incorporated versus Hulk Hogan versus Beefcake is, is, is not how you would have brought Hogan back.
0: It sure as shit is not.
1: Okay. Other ideas. <laughs> what do you think? The floor is now yours. I will hand you the pencil. Book me another Hulk Hogan return and match for WrestleMania.
0: Now you have you have the um you have a suggestion as well, which we'll touch on shortly, because I do like that idea that the, the idea that you have. We'll touch on that in a second, I think. But mm-hmm. to me, given what happens elsewhere, and we're gonna talk about this shortly, but Yokozuna, given what they do with him, feels like a very obvious contender for a Hogan opponent. There are guys in the promotion at this time that feel like very obvious guys that Hogan would have worked with back in the day that would have been bigger money matches, and Yokozuna again, we'll touch on what what ends up happening with him, obviously, but like this, I, I think you could have, if they'd have done what they do with Yoko, with the idea being that we need you know, the guy to come back who can stop this unstoppable monster. That's that's Hogan 101. Yes. Um I, I know that this is absolutely horrendous on paper. No, I'm gonna agree with you. I know what you're gonna say and I agree with you. It's horrendous on paper, but I remember when we did the SCG rebooking of 993, based on the way that they use Gonzalez.
1: Yes, I was gonna yeah, I completely agree with this.
0: The way they hype Gonzalez, the way that the entire Vibe of Gonzalez is you can get one match, maybe one big thing out of him. Hogan being brought back for this new monster feels like if you're going to just do a one and done, just and you want this. Oh, it's 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 Hogan, uh, it's he's back on PV, he's dealing with a monster. Can he can he slay this guy? Yes, he does. Rips his shirt, cups his ear. Hogan's back onto the next thing. That to me is. Fairly obvious <laughs> an option to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, cause again, I mean, you talk about now again. Okay. One half of the equation is a Yokozuna or giant Gonzalez feud is straight out the Hogan playbook, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you use the term Hogan one-on-one agree, but to the other point, it's guys that he's not familiar with. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, here's the thing. He, he wasn't always familiar with everybody. You know, you always got to work with the guy the first time and true money. Um, I'm going to throw this out there because obviously I think most people are like, oh, fuck, like Hulk Hogan versus a monster. Like why, you know, get. so how about this? Because this fits both parts of the equation. Um, it, it, Well, I, I, it's not Hogan versus a monster. It's not necessarily Hogan 101, but it's it's a tying up a loose end and b someone Hogan that Hogan is familiar with. Why not just do Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair?
0: Yeah, if you say Flair.
1: If you if and you don't, you know I mean okay, Flair, you're you're winding him down. You want him gone tell yeah, and you know you want to have him job. I mean like why not just have him do a high profile job to Hogan? Like it it, it would have worked better that that would have worked great. I think if you had done it. Hogue, if you had done Hogan Flair at Mania 8 still, okay, with Flair as the champion, and you do the warrior finish, the same warrior finish where, like, nobody gets pinned. Yeah. I think that would have been very logical where, like, Flair could have, like, drawn Hogan back somehow. Flair would have agreed to put his career on the line or something, and Hogan could have just beat him, and you send Flair off that way.
0: Yeah, I think that that's his... As- because they had not done it. And by that point, the memory of the house show matches may be kind of gone away. And it kind of adds a, and you spin to it with the loser leaves the WWF deal anyway. Uh, the, the only thing I can see Vince thinking, we, again, not that I subscribe to this theory, but it's the, it's the Vince theory we're trying to get into his head here. The idea of like building Flair up to Headline Mania to then give him to the other side, I can see why Vince in his mind would be like, I don't actually want to have my Mania headliner go to the other side. Even if he's losing and looking completely secondary, I can kind of just see that being Vince's attitude. But I would have done it. Yeah,
1: I mean, I and from Flair's perspective, look, this is a guy who didn't fucking pay his taxes in the entire 1980s. You think he wouldn't have taken a big payday? He so would have. Like, he would have. Yeah, plus, it's Ric Flair. There's nothing he likes doing more than losing the Hulk Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> As we would find out in WCW. He would have, Flair would have done it. You're right. I think, I think Vince might have been the hang-up in a Hogan Flair WrestleMania 9 metri. I I think he I think he would have just been bored by it too. It was it was something that had been done before, you know. I think maybe they, you know, the beefcake, they "Ah, fuck it. It's new, you know, it's new, pal. We'll do that. Mm. Um here's a here's a curveball for you because this is not someone Hogan would have been comfortable with, but it would have been a a fresh match, an overheel. Razor Ramon.
0: Ooh, that's interesting. I didn't think about Razor.
1: Because he sort of doesn't, I mean, you wouldn't have The here's the key, you couldn't have jobbed Razor at the Rumble to Bret Hart if he's going to work Hogan at yeah. Mania. So you probably, like we had talked about, maybe would have done Bret and Flair at the Rumble and yeah. saved Ramon in that regard. But, I mean, you look at Ramon, I know he had, you know, some knee, He he had a lot of knee issues during this time period. So who knows if that affected the how much that affected the book. But he doesn't really do anything after he loses to He Works fucking Bob Backlund at WrestleMania.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Works Backlund. Does the angle with Perfect that we've mentioned. Uh, I I like the idea. I you you do have that kind of. Um, and let's be honest. After WrestleMania nine, it wasn't like. I mean, you, know, look what happens to Razor. They end up turning him babyface, and they have him lose yeah. to the kid. So it's yeah, not like they need to hyper protect him like he's a main event guy for life. No, is. and that yeah, and
1: that is my point too. That okay, it's like well, you're gonna job Razor. Well, like it's because all right, when a guy the old adage and this is why Piper never wanted to job to Hogan on television. Yeah. Um, for so is one of two things happens when you job to Hogan. You either just immediately start getting like you know go back down the card slowly, <laughs> you know, till you you know reach your end, or you turn baby face. Yeah, And what do they do with Ramon? So, like, I the the fact that... Because uh, Hogan's obviously, you know, not losing his match back, um, first match back. The fact that Razor would have lost in that spot really doesn't bother me for what you just said. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I very much get the sense that they did not... Razor is, like, the outlier. Razor may have been the person who got victimized by the, bo- you know, boss man Quake leaving. But like that's kind of what was on my mind when I was thinking about that earlier on. The fact that, like... I don't think they really know what they want to do with him because he's kind of lost in the balance. He's too high up, and they've put too much time in, uh, you know, into Razor in the previous six months to just, you know, discard him and throw him away. But at the same time, they've got like nothing there for him. I would have much rather gone with Razor and Hogan than this. I much mean, it would have been gone with
1: it. It, it, at least it would have been interesting and something
0: new. Now, uh, saying speak, that though, it, it speak, is is the flip side of that though. Before we change, okay, what do you think the Manhattan Center crowd would have done?
1: Oh, the, uh, and see, and that's, remember what I said, yeah. you know, that the, the one box Ramon doesn't check, is that uh, it's someone that, you know, Hogan isn't comfortable or familiar with. And you're right. It, I, I think Hogan would have looked, certainly, I don't think, I, I, I almost, I mean, you can't say you know, with certainly, but I, I strongly think Hogan would have come off as the far less cool character in that feud.
0: Yeah, me too. Me too.
1: God, I, I would have, you, you know, I brought it up because, you know, it's always you know we th- you and I think we know everything right about this security <laughs> before we rush. I mean, let's just fucking pat ourselves on the back, right? <laughs> Generally speaking, we do, but I feel we always, you know, we're you know not too proud to admit that. Well, we learn things, right? Oh, yeah. And, and like, always. like, 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 re- like we we we're going to talk about here in a second. Like Randy Savage, like Jesus, was he dead as a draw when oh, he came God. back? Uh after you know when he came back after losing the retirement match to the ultimate where something that like really has stood out to me watching the tv late 92 is early 93 is just how comfortable
0: and how good scott hall was at executing that razor ramon character oh my god he like walks into it like my- so he's just he's so much better than i remembered him being
1: yeah, and it's like everyone talks, eh, well, he wasn't that great of a worker yet. When I, I don't think that mattered. I think he, he had that character down flat. I was really, really impressed with, you know, just, you know, the the presentation of Razor. When well, we talked earlier in the show about, um, you know, how he was getting cheers at the Manhattan Center uh, in his promo, uh, you know, building up the Bret Hart match.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not sure if it's just because. Like I say, late 92 is when like I'm becoming more aware. And even early 93 is when I'm becoming more aware of, of wrestling. 93, as the year rolls on, is the year that makes me a fan for life. I don't think there was anything, and again, I've watched it all back in years previous, but like I don't think doing this series, anybody in this last year that we've talked about has come off so much better than I remembered them coming off, than early Razor. Yes, because I would agree with that. He really just, he comes off like, this is a this is a silly analogy, but you know when guys in like the real prime of Vince's run in the 80s had been themselves in the territories for years? Like Savage would come in and was just himself and was just immediately great and did yes. not necessarily need to, you know, did not need to find himself as he was going along because he's been given something that he's trying to work out the kinks yeah. of live on TV. But-
1: the WWF packaging was basically just the cherry on top. It did not make the guy. The guy was already great. They just kind of they did something to make him more palatable in the WWE environment.
0: Yes, and they they were able to continue being themselves. Now, again, Hall had done much of the Razor Act before as the Diamond Stud. He, you know, he he did a lot of the same type of stuff. He just added, again, like you say, that little extra you know WWF ism of of you know the super Cuban accent and the you know everything that he was doing, but. I feel like he is the best example of this in probably, maybe, honestly, since we started doing this series in 1990.
1: Of, you know, of a guy who, like, really benefited from the WWF package? Yes, thing. yes. Yeah, who, because He right, comes
0: cause... in and it just, it just shines that the WWF-ism of this guy has added, and he is great, and he hits the ground running.
1: You're right, because, you know, you mentioned how a lot of the mannerisms and stuff were similar to the Diamond Stud, and it was, but the Diamond Stud sucked. Yeah, he blew. <laughs> like, he wasn't good. He was never over. Nope. And, it, it you know, I mean, he was with DDP, who admittedly wasn't very good as a manager either. It's kind of funny. You know, you look at oh, DDP and Scott Hall together at on 1991 television, you know, you would think that'd be great. No, it was bad. Really um, played. Speaking of guys, okay, and we, I'm glad you said that, guys uh, who came from WCW to WF. It's way too early to do a Hogan Luger match at WrestleMania Nine, right? Because Luger can't. Because we talked how Hogan can't isn't losing his first match back. You can't just throw
0: Luger in and have him lose right away. No, in fact, in fact, if anything, I'm looking at if if I'm booking 1993, I'm looking at Lex whether it's a heel or a face to peak King of the Ring SummerSlam time. Maybe even yes. a little bit later than that, you know. Okay.
1: Um, just uh, for the record here, want to tie up loose ends, did find it finally. Fresno, California, January 26, 93. Uh, this was uh, the same taping that uh, Bam Bigelow shot the fire at Bret Hart. Mm. But um, Bret Hart and Owen Hart defeated Money, Inc. in a non-title match.
0: No stone unturned on this yes. podcast.
1: No stone unturned. Okay. So I think, is that it for Hulk Hogan? Are we done talking about the fucking Mega Maniacs and Money <laughs> Eight
0: Feud? I, I think we're done with it for now. I think that we've kind of, we've, we've put it in its place. We've kind of set the stage. Obviously, as we as we enter part two, we're going to be talking about how this actually gets executed and where this yes. goes.
1: Uh, sure. And I think we've named several better options for a Hulk Hogan. The key is, let's just say this. Let, let, let's put it on like this. Is you said it, I said it. Beefcake and Jimmy Hart drag the Hogan package down. It's so obvious watching the television. And to me, if you're listening out there, comment on Facebook, by the way, for the record. Oh, yeah. We love, we love hearing that. It's clear that a singles match with Hogan would have been the preferred destination for WrestleMania 9. They, they, they should have come up with something to have a single. Nobody wants to see him teaming with Brutus Beefcake for the tag team titles. It just just sounds
0: dumb saying it. It sounds weak, and it's like when you have this period of time, a year where Hogan's gone, and things have changed so drastically, and if you're a wrestling fan around this time, I'm just thinking, if you're closing your eyes, and you're thinking, if Hulk Hogan was back today, he could wrestle this guy, and this guy, and this guy. Who the fuck was thinking about Money, Inc.? No, no one. I think it
1: just boiled down that he
0: was, DiBiase was the one guy
1: he could trust.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, well... (laughs) Speaking of old Hulk Hogan friends, (laughs) a key name, uh, by the way, this section, you know, a a key name not on the WrestleMania 9 card is Randy Savage. Okay. Now, the name of this section is, oh, yeah, but it (laughs) really is more like, oh, yeah, I think, because (laughs) Randy Savage, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, by the way, Macho Man, he was the final guy eliminated in a terrible Rumble. uh, And then beaten by yokozuna on the march to wrestlemania show he transitions to a raw commentary role and savage must have been pretty damn sensitive about the whole thing because vince constantly mentions how savage was quote one of the great wwf champions
0: yeah not one of the great wf announcers though as as we would come to find out a bit of a ropey start here for savage uh, and especially at wrestlemania 9 do the thing yeah. Um, uh,
1: yeah, I go pro doing the thing, you would just yell <laughs> it randomly. Um, do you want to bring up your gripe with that Yoko Savage match here, or do you want to wait? Uh, we'll leave that because that, that, that's more Brett centric, okay? Okay, um, but the reason that I, I joked about you know, oh yeah, being more like oh yeah, is you know, Randy Savage is just very much pushed to the side. We were talking about this at the end of the 92 series, like after Survivor Series. He goes from a guy who'd been like the top baby face in the promotion to not even an active performer. Because Meltzer reports, and Wade did as well, Savage no longer working full-time. And as a result of that, he had been working on the house shows against Shawn Michaels. And all the reports are those matches were really disappointing because Savage seems to have lost his motivation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even reunited with Sherry which i think was kind of odd because it's funny we're going to be talking about what could you have done with Randy Savage at WrestleMania 9 if you wanted him to wrestle yeah. and like and i think a lot of people would think a savage michael's match would be enticing and i'm not saying it wouldn't be on paper but like because they were doing the sherry storyline i always thought god sherry was such a key piece of you know that savage retirement 2 years ago yeah. That, like, I I know it's WWF and their fans don't fucking care about shit that happens two years ago usually. But, like, I, I don't know. Like, Savage, like, defending Sherry's honor didn't sit right with me.
0: Yeah, I've never really liked that. I, I can see why people think it ties together because there's history there. But, like, it's – in order to make sense of the history, you have to make quite the leap. Now, granted, like you say, this is the WWF. They don't usually give a shit about things like this. And they're usually like, well – now it's time to tell this so this is what we're going to go with and that's it but i i like you i think that it's not the right fit that no, granted i don't think she fit with the either but you know so i guess you look at it from well, I mean, she, I,
1: and as we talked about earlier she, as we talked about earlier part what well, she just wasn't a very good baby face manager in no no I it mean, wasn't it wasn't going to be great no matter what they did so yeah i mean she literally kicked the man when he was down though after he loses the <laughs> warrior i mean my god i i just i i mean maybe i'm just a bitter guy and would have never forgotten i guess that's maybe the story here but anyway uh, it is my understanding, Mr. O'Work, that in an old <laughs> Squared Circle Gazette uh, episode, you guys had floated the idea of Bret Hart versus Randy Savage as a potential WrestleMania nine main event. Yeah. Going through this series, you and I here in the early 90s, it's pretty clear that Randy Savage was dead as a draw.
0: Yeah. Do you want to revise that previous
1: take? And is this an asshole move by me to include this in the
0: notes? <laughs> No, not at all. I'm glad that you did. It is worth noting, just for context, that podcast was a challenge that a listener had sent to us saying that we need to take everything as it was on January 1st. Uh-huh. Meaning that Brett was already the champ and Flair had already given his notice. So it was like, okay, with that parameter and with Brett not strong enough as a headliner to work with an up-and-comer to really draw a big bite. If you're looking at this show like you want to do a big number and this kind of bears out, Brett and Yoko, two guys you both you know, need help isn't really the move to make. So the idea would be as, and I think that you'll probably have a similar feel to me on this. If you are going to this show with the idea of trying to galvanize Bret Hart as best you can, if he's already the champion, the move to make feels like turn savage heel to put Brett over. It's about as good an option as you've got at the moment to build to a heart victory where at least it's like, it's a, it's a star. You can probably do a pretty hot angle, I think it was kind of based on the idea of um the kind of the flair funk type deal of you know mm-hmm. Savage kind of being Savage being proud of Brett and 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 happy that he's doing well. You know, he he's there and maybe they did the Superstar of the Year award and Savage gives him the trophy and he's inspired and he he, he you know enters the rumble and hopes to wrestle Brett one day. Brett's a little bit kind of hot and cold on the idea. You know, so the idea was create some kind of hot issue so that Brett has something to talk about. Savage as a heel could be interesting because he's toast as a babyface, complete toast as a draw. He's done. And the thing is, Savage never really recovers from this because they never really put him in this a position of importance again. And he leaves because of it. Yeah, you know, I want In the end.
1: If they were thinking. So if you do that, right, Bret, if you're doing Bret Hart as the champion, defending as the heel Randy Savage at WrestleMania nine. Brett's obviously winning, and I wonder if in the back of everyone's mind, other than Brett, there's well, what what then was Savage like? What you like Savage at that point? I, I like that was what I would I would uh, I think counter with is like hmm. what in the like you can't make him an announcer. I guess. Oh no. Or, well, I I mean
0: he, he's basically just done, right? He's either I done mean, or he's you have a glut of new baby faces that he could
1: hopefully okay or, 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 or okay or yeah or he or he just like yeah works with new baby faces i guess yeah, yeah he, he basically he
0: basically he basically takes uh, in my mind at this point he basically takes the role that number two number three heel he had anyway prior to retirement where like he's not going to be the top heel but he's around and he can help guys and he can do good stuff and and whether that plays out long i don't know you could probably get a year out of it at least you know maybe he's maybe he was always destined to go yeah, I mean, you know,
1: well, and that's gonna be a topic we're gonna to be exploring uh, mm-hmm. in the shows to come. But yeah, at least there's no Ico Pro doing the thing. Uh, I guess <laughs> if Savage stays an active wrestler. Um, yeah. Did you want to continue with just kind of
0: your yeah, thoughts I... on
1: Heart and Savage? And, and well, and that was it. I mean, versus those... what happens?
0: Exactly. I mean, it's it's the idea of if the idea, like I say, is galvanizing Bret, beating Yoko. Is, is better than what happens to Bret at WrestleMania 9, certainly. But it is going to draw the same unless the build's improve. And there's not a ton of hot challenges around because, really, the only the, the only match that you've got with Bret that would draw big immediately is Hogan. But they're not going to do that, and nor should they have done that.
1: No, not at WrestleMania 9. No. Not at WrestleMania 9. Um, Savage and Lawler. Uh, now, Jerry Lawler, of course, hell froze over, they said, at the end of 1992 when he shows up on WF television. You know, they're the announcers on superstars now. But, of course, they had a rivalry going back many years. Right before Savage came to the WWF, Savage and Lawler were drawing big in Memphis. Obviously, that they had played off, you know, how Savage uh, and his father, Angelo Poffo, had the rogue promotion. Yeah. And, you know, they they showed up. That drew a lot of money um, back in the mid-'80s in Memphis. Well, Savage and Lawler kind of, uh, they, they ran it back in early 93. They worked against each other in Memphis and they drew 3,000 people uh, in Louisville, which was part of the territory as well. Uh, and that's a town where 500 is usually considered a big night. So, you know, this is another kind of thing we're going to be bringing up as 1993 rolls along the WWF and its relationship uh, with Lawler down in Memphis in that territory. Mm-hmm. But there are some signs, hey, when you, at least the first time around, when these WWF guys show up. They're doing big business, so at least in that regard, you know, Savage has you know something left, I guess.
0: Yeah, and he was a heel in that match.
1: Yeah. Um. So Television. let me ask you. Yeah, let me ask you the question: Was there a place for Randy Savage on the WrestleMania card?
0: <sighs> well, there was no place for Bam Bam or Kamal who got booted off. But uh, yeah, for, due to of constraints. Sam- <laughs> for Savage, I think there was, but maybe yeah, I don't know if there's a position where he's going to go over. No. Um, no. I do think that there's a possibility that you could do that Memphis match at Mania even again, this kind of, uh, at this point that, that, we kind of delved into
1: oh, Chad Repack just got real excited that, that is a big Chad Repack thing. he like thinks like Savage and Lawler would have like saved WrestleMania 9
0: ah oh, a- well, it's, it's it, I mean, Lawler's right there, he's new he's not on the show, he's leagues above the, this is Lawler I'm talking about he's fucking leagues above most of this roster there was a set of pre-Rumble Promos as they always do, like the montages of interviews, and you've got like Bigelow, Demento, Backland, Head Shrinkers in a row doing these promos, and God bless them all, but none of them are known for being great promo guys, and it shows. And then Lawler shows up, Lawler's the next one, and he just does his promo and he just pisses over all of them. And there's a natural way to kick off the angle with them both doing the country on superstars together, so if it was an, an idea of okay. We want to put Savage in a match that could be pretty heated. It could be quite good. We could do, you know War of the Words. They could have done some good angles. I'd have totally had Savage and, and Lawler as a match in the middle. I would have taken that over, you know, fucking, you know, Backland and Razor. And yeah, I I I I would have I would have taken the punt. I'd have gone I'd have gone for it. So who goes over in that match? Uh hmm, That's an interesting one. Depends. I'd be because, to go in law.
1: <laughs> so would I just because, you're, you know, and he's new. Who, yeah, He's new. And and you don't who knows when they came up with the idea for him and Brett later in the year. Mm. We'll explore that, uh, obviously, as, as we continue into 1993. But I, I agree with your earlier point that I don't think there was a place where Savage is going over. Yeah. Um. Going back, you know, we had the discussion earlier that Luger as a brand new heel the way that they debuted new heels, you know, we, we laughed about Earthquake over Hercules or whatever. Undertaker <laughs> over Snuka. Yeah. The heels that were going to be shot in the main event scene. They their first WrestleMania, you know, Bundy over SD Jones, the first yeah. WrestleMania. They always got like a dominant win at the in their first WrestleMania. What if you had fed Savage to Luger?
0: Savage and Luger interesting. Uh That's a possible it, one.
1: I mean, if because obviously Luger needs because here's the thing: you're not putting Savage over at Mania, and Luger needs to go over at Mania. Yeah. And and we talked about that. Perfect was not a good option for that role to lose to Luger, which is why they do a shit finish in that match. But like Savage is a guy you could have beaten. Luger could have beaten clean. With yeah, the, I, with the knockout elbow.
0: With with the knockout, I actually like that. I we we talked about fantasy and ideas. If we're going to switch up a little bit of this, we could have had Luga beat Savage, which actually feels like a big match, and I think would have been really good for Lex. And at the flip side, Lawler can then be the guy to enter Tanaka's undefeated streak because he would get a shit ton of mileage out of that. Oh, that!
1: Oh, wow! There you go. Okay. Um. I, well. All right. The guy who wrestled shot. Well, uh, we talked about it. I think we don't like like. Michaels and Savage to the modern fan, that's an attractive pairing because people are gonna just naturally think good match, and that's how, yeah. how people fantasy book a lot in the modern times. But I mean, I, I guess it would have worked in the sense that it would have it would have been great for I guess Michaels beating Savage oh, yeah. at WrestleMania, I guess would have been good for him. Oh yeah. But, oh yeah. But there there were a lot of other things going on in that match as we're gonna get into, you know, with the Sherry. I, I don't know if that it would have worked. So um I, I wanna say this about your Savage. A turning heel idea we're gonna come back to i like that idea a lot and i would have done it just not for wrestlemania 9 yeah, yeah. we're gonna we're, gonna we're gonna talk about but but it is like just the way you laid it out there is a very natural story to tell and i will get to it because it is something that is on my booking sheet just not for wrestlemania 9 okay okay um well I guess that's it for WrestleMania 9. Oh, wait, the, the WWF title match. We talked about the WWF title match, my God, we're, you know, we've been talking. I mean, Jesus, we're in like the past, the four-hour mark of the first three months of 1993, and we have not really talked about the WWF title. Okay, let's talk about it. Bret Hart and Yokozuna, as everybody knows, is the WWF title match at WrestleMania 9. Yoko wins a terrible rumble, I'm going to say it again, to earn the shot. <laughs> Brett wins uh, a very good match against razor at the pay-per-view That three and a half stars. Seems about right. Yeah. Uh, It's And that match is made more impressive by the fact razor, as I said earlier, had an
0: injured knee. Yeah. Which they play into a little bit in the match by having him work it over.
1: Yeah. I like how Dave said, like, I forgot Meltzer said something like how they would just like, I don't know, like wrap up a prosthesis if they had to, to get like remote in the ring. Like that's how tight, (laughs) you know, they they didn't switch main eventers back in the day, folks. No, no, no. no. Um, the, the one thing with that Brett Razor match, the pay-per-view, there wasn't much, like, there there wasn't much to the feud, like, right? They just got—we know that it wasn't the original idea, I think. Wasn't there—like, ta- we talked about this in the last time, that, like, that there was talk that Brett would beat the Warrior at the Rumble at at some point. Like, Brett was told that, right? Yeah, I, I, I
0: don't know if they necessarily believed that that, okay, that was the okay. case.
1: Well, we thought, okay, well, anyway— in sort of like this lame attempt to heat up the Brett Razor uh, feud, they have Razor attacking Owen Hart, who's being in the back, who's being
0: interviewed by the uh, nerdy Ray Rougeau. <laughs> yeah, that angle blows. Um, it blows. He's having a re- – Rougeau is having a real tedious discussion with Owen Hart where, I mean, this like – it's just not interesting. Owen Owen does not know how to project as a babyface yet. Ray Rougeau is kind of monotonous, so it's, it's pretty dull. Razor attacks – the angle's not that good. And I think if you're going to do this, you could have done this, the, the, the beating up Owen, but I would have saved it for Mania. with Whoever whoever it was that was working with Brett, establish Owen and Brett a little bit. Maybe by doing that thing with, you know, okay, Owen's in trouble, Brett makes the save. You can do a couple of things like that before. Yes! You, like that, to me, that's they did it the wrong way around. It's like you've got to establish Brett and Owen as being more than just two guys on the roster before you do this. Because like, oh, he beat the shit of Owen Hart. Well, Owen Hart's been getting this shit out of him for a year. He's, he's you know, in high energy. It's not like this is like, now Brett's making the save. It's like, it would have worked better the other way around, where it's like, do that first. And then when it comes to Mania, you, you do those things where Owen's you know, with him every now and then, giving him a pat on the back before he goes out or whatever. And then you finally get to the angle where Yoko or whoever destroys him. And then Brett comes out for the save.
1: Yeah, but that is a great point because the way that it just felt like they were trying desperately to do something to heat up a cold feud. Mm -hmm. Again, the the match, the match itself is good. I think we, we were both in Brett and razor. They have a good, a a very good match. Like I said, um, should be noted. Owen. you you know, you were talking about him just a second. He's kind of like a bit lost at sea. At at some point during these months, Coco beware is gone from the promotion. Uh, he, he, he works a lot of USWA. uh, during this time, you know, down in Memphis. So, um, yeah, so, so Owen is just kind of like just meandering about as a single who is the younger brother of the WWF champion. But yeah, there's no on-screen relationship really established by this point. So it just comes off as like a desperate attempt to heat up a pay-per-view title yeah, match. Which it is. Uh, well, yeah, where Brett was obviously going to retain, and he does. Now, okay, uh, the, the Rumble... So we, we should point out that this is the first Rumble um, where the Mania title shot is on the line. And I, I know from previous conversations with you
0: you're with me that that 93 rumble match itself sucks oh blows it's it i i do not like it's funny because uh, there, there was a podcast that you did some time back with rick morris on the fda yes Challenge our good talking, friend rick morris yeah talking 1993's royal rumble and you on that show i heard you just you just speared it again and again and again and Rick, who had not – as I remember, he hadn't seen it at the time, but he was watching it now in retrospect, likes the idea of like – because when you hear it on paper, Backlund and Flair together to start with, and then you get like Lawler and Tenru and Hennig, and these guys all mixing together, and it sounds – T.B.R.C.
1: was in the mix. I Dibiase's there. If it was the 1983 Royal Rumble, Jesus Christ, I mean, we're going to throw money.
0: But it wasn't. It was the 1993 Royal Rumble, and the I don't like the layout of this match at all. I I think that they made some mistakes. I will say that I am surprised. It, it goes to show how little was going on in this Royal Rumble for the most part. That people actually do get into Backlund at the end.
1: Yeah, which I hated. I, I thought that was so dumb.
0: Like I, I I I I hated so
1: long. Like I mean, Hennig was such an obvious guy for that role, yes. and I don't know why the fuck they choose chose Backlund. So. All right. I mean, that's the I mean, people, you know, the 93 Rumble sucks. I mean the most interesting thing is the fact that Tatanka threatened to kill Paul Diamond behind the scenes if they were in the <laughs> ring together. Anyway, um, pretty clear. As soon as the match is made official after the Rumble, Brett and Yoko, that it's easily the weakest main event, quote unquote, of the first nine manias. In fact, yeah. I've got a story. This is from Mania 33 weekend. The only uh, time you and I have ever met in person, by the that's way. That's right. Um, you were not uh, present uh, for this uh Uh, uh, scene but we were I was at the Airbnb with all the buddies uh, of mine that I that came with me to watch the show and like my the one guy's like you know we're just gonna put on every mania main event in a row okay it (laughs) seems like an interesting exercise um I guess I mean I I seen them all many times I kind of was doing shit but whatever I but there was one guy in this group who actually wasn't like a huge wrestling fan that was in our group he just like came to like party and stuff and whatnot In Florida, okay. And so, uh, but the only thing I remember from all these Mania main events being shown and, like, just having them on in in the house was this guy who wasn't a huge fan, when we got to WrestleMania 9, he remarked, oh, is this when wrestling got kind of bad? Oh, And, like, and I remember, like, it was such a, like, I I sat up and I took notice. I'm like, you know. And maybe we'll talk about it more, you know, as we continue with 93 and the other parts. But, like, it's very – like, I don't think there's been a – I don't think there's a year-to-year difference in where you can tell businesses down quite like watching Mania 8 to Mania 9.
0: No, I agree.
1: And and it's very obvious – with just the main event and the, the, the persons involved. Like, it's like, okay, Bret Hart. I mean, Bret was in the Intercontinental, time. I've actually beat Roddy Piper the year before. That's very important. But, you know, um, I you have a lot to say, I, I know, about this.
0: Yeah, it's... it's it's. I feel... As we'll get to, I think that's... And it ties into how they actually get to this match, which is obviously, like you say, the direct champion versus the Rumble winner being like the machination to get this match together. Yeah, and It's it's not enough. First, it's time not enough.
1: Out, first time out, it's so clear. It's not enough to make a compelling Mania main event. Just all it ending. is, champion yeah. versus Rumble winner.
0: It's just a way to get two people who are on complete different paths linked in together. And it really needs, okay, so what now? How does it happen? How do we get to that point? And the, and the lack of reasoning behind it happening, which pretty much goes all the way through to like the big angle, the one big angle they do, He's just the number one contender who's beaten everybody. It really hurts this. In the same way, we talked about how Luger and Perfect limps along on the initial premise and little else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is the same. Brett, after the Rumble itself, when Yoko's won, Brett does this promo where it's almost like blowing it off for now. It's like, yeah, I'm, yeah I'll deal with Yoko Zuna closer to WrestleMania um but you know i'm I'm taking this one day at a time and focusing on my next challenger it's like well that's pretty compelling <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah I, boy let me let me order it now you know i want to get everybody in for this um and, and then in the follow-up promos you, you heart, basically the theme of it is they must have decided we're going to do the video of respect by aretha franklin and mm. everything is going to be about that because brett harps on repeatedly about how Yokozuna doesn't respect him and how he's the underdog at WrestleMania, which is quite, you know, a lot to take away from, from the, the limited interaction, the limited time Yokozuna had actually, you know, given to Brett at this point. And it's, it's again and again, it's very repetitive and it's a very hard dynamic. Like we said, and this is what led to that Brett Savage idea when you've got an unestablished champion against an unestablished challenger on top That's really hard, man, because they both need credit at the same time, and if you're looking to draw, that's very hard.
1: Yeah, I hate whenever they like really hit you over the head with the champion is an underdog, right? Like that was like the big Kofi Kingston thing during that run, right? Like, oh, you know, he could just it it, like with a baby face doesn't work. Like it's funny, like Hogan. You know, even when he was against, like, the big, mo- like, even, like, the Andre the Giant match at WrestleMania 3, it's like, okay, it was presented like, this is Hulk Hogan's toughest challenge. But he was not presented as this, like, overwhelming underdog. No. The, the, you know, I mean, okay, like, maybe Bobby Heenan would, like, cut a promo saying, you know, in Las Vegas, they are betting on Andre the Giants. Yeah, that's but, acceptable. Like, but, that's, but that's what Bobby Heenan should say. Yeah. But, like, but... The promotion isn't telling you that Hogan is this like huge underdog, who you know no one thinks is going to win. The yeah, whole cause... thing with the whole thing with Hogan was, oh, he always wins, and you know, okay, man, this is—it's tough for me to see how Hulk's going to beat Andre, but I, God, Hulk always does it. Like here, Brett was just like, yeah, I know no one really believes I'm going to win, and then of course it's made worse by what happened. <laughs> um, you know, it just. It it, it didn't work. And another thing, and I brought this up when we first started talking about Yokozuna and whether or not they should have gone the the xenophobic route with him. You talked earlier here in part one that, okay, it was the WWF packaging. It's what they do. It did kind of give him a character and identity. But I asked you that question with this match in mind. Yeah. Bret Hart, not American. He's Canadian. Yeah. So. He's an odd person to have Yokozuna feud with because you can't hit on the xenophobic nature of
0: the Yokozuna character. It's 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 what they rely on in the build, but the build for this is what they rely on for the build of Yokozuna. He's a threat to America and the great American athletes and stuff like that. And yes. it's like, and even Heenan Heenan at WrestleMania outright says the guy's Canadian. <laughs> because well,
1: chat- I, I think the crowd chants USA. chant had- USA. Yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. They chant USA, and fucking meanwhile, like, Yoko's actually from America, and Brett's from Canada. <laughs> and it's like, wow, this is this is fantastic. What a great dynamic they've built here. But that's it. It's like, they... Uh, uh, this kind of goes into that kind of sloppy execution thing. You th- you want to go this route with Yoko because you think that's the heat. When in reality, the heat probably just should have been that he's fucking dangerous. And... Mm-hmm. and- To the point you're making out, Hogan, you know, in in wrestling, you know, this star power is what you project it to be as best you can as a promotion. If you are building a guy up to the level of somebody who's a star, that's one thing. If you're building a guy down and he's the guy that people are supposed to get behind, why on earth are people going to buy into that guy? And especially, and that's why it's it's even more crushing when you see what does happen. But that's another podcast for another day.
1: Yes. And I think you wanted to make the point that just to reinforce something you said earlier, you know, Yokozuna's character being what it is, it kind of it's another reason why Hogan would have maybe yeah. been a a you know, Hogan Yoko might have made sense. You've a, seen a, it as a built as a built match uh, for WrestleMania nine rather yeah. than what happens. Um, <laughs> yeah. and you know to the idea of Yokozuna's character and Hogan being such a one on one opponent to all this point to all of this, the Jim Duggan Yokozuna mini feud that they do, or is it Yokozuma? Everybody yeah, calls could, him that. Yeah, he does. All of the baby faces seemingly cannot get Yokozuna's name right, by the way, during this time. Fuji period.
0: calls him Yokozuma.
1: Well, Fuji, you never know what the fuck he's going to say. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, there's this mini feud they do after Yokozuna's uh, the number one contender um, with, with Duggan. And it's way better than the Bret Hart Yokozuna feud. Like, way That's better.
0: Unbelievable.
1: Um, it's quite frankly, Jim Duggan's best work in years. Uh, like it, it singlet Duggan is the most underrated Duggan. I know he he, didn't, he, now he doesn't get the singlet till he comes back and he's selling the injury after selling the injury. But let's talk about this because this is sort of a forgotten angle. I feel there's a lot of forgotten angles Yeah. in this period. And this is one of them. And this was something that, you know, again, we talk about how we're, you know, sometimes things you know, really shock us or really disappoint us upon rewatch. This was something that really shocked me in a positive way. So they do an angle where Duggan, who, of course, is the flag-waving, patriotic babyface, is disgusted by Yokozuna and his ascendancy in the WWF. And he challenges him to a match where he just has to knock him down to the ground because no one had knocked Yokozuna off his feet yet. Well, they do this match on superstars, not Raw, but it's on superstars, And Jim Duggan defeats Yokozuna, knocking him to the mat to win. And I I thought they did a great—the announcers were great in building this. I think just watching the whole deal was great, how it was built. But after the match, Yokozuna attacks Duggan, hits three bonsai drops, lays the American flag over Duggan, and hits another bonsai drop. Moments later, Duggan taken backstage on a stretcher as he began to cough up blood. Liam, there is nothing else to say other than this is fucking great. And Vince McMahon, sex pest that he is, was in his goddamn <laughs> element. In homage, uh, in homage to the Eddie Gilbert Bill Watts angle in the WWF. I know that they laid Watts under the Russian flag there. Here it's Duggan being laid under his own flag, but this is the WWF version of that angle, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I wonder if somebody was watching tapes of uh, that period of time getting ready for Raw and the inspiration for it and saw that angle. I, I I I this is this is very very well done. The commentary selling that that first time Yoko wavers a little bit because obviously the, the way they do the match is that Duggan fails several times to even make a dent in Yoko, but when he finally He gets makes...
1: knocked down the first two times. Like Duggan runs into him and yes. he goes down and Waller sells it great like just laughing at what an idiot yeah. Duggan is. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And then they all, but they all acknowledge when when Duggan does it, and Yoko like staggers a little bit. It's like, ooh, okay. Happens again. Happens again. Finally, Dugan nuts and down. Place goes nuts. Gets killed afterwards. Blood's dripping out of his mouth after the fourth bonsai drop, and we get that nice lingering slow shot again they're a big fan of this they did the same thing for beefcakes blood the nice lingering shot after duggan's been taken away of old glory lying on the canvas and they just did a slow zoom in on the fallen flag and it's just it's a good angle to heat up yoko who around this time fucking kills another jobber with two bonsai drops in a separate angle um obviously kind of leaning more towards the brett stuff in that angle but you know the jobbers, they fucking got it he did not squash Duggan the way he would squash the jobbers
1: no no uh, by the way I, when they lay Duggan um you know whether or they lay the flag over Duggan I love the pissed off middle-aged white guy they showed the crowd he looked a little hot by the whole thing yeah he
0: wasn't impressed yeah well, well <laughs> he, was he, not impressed.
1: he looked upset by it and to that point believe it or not Liam this stunned me I mean just when you think you've read it all the in the newsletters <laughs> you come across this stuff okay The Duggan-Yokozuna match from Superstars is causing all kinds of uproar with various groups protesting the, quote, stereotypical nature of the Yokozuna character. KTTV in uh, L.A. refused to air it. (laughs) Now, on the other side of the ledger, Robert Burke of Boston... Filed a petition in, I don't know if this was the middle-aged man they showed in the crowd or not, but uh, it it wasn't because it wasn't. But he filed a petition in U.S. District Court against the WWF, Yokozuna, Mr. Fuji, Jim Duggan, and Vince McMahon, stemming from the angle. He's demanding a televised apology. This is Mr. Burke for, quote, mistreating the flag, saying that the WWF violated federal law by allowing the flag to be used in a manner that could damage it or touch the floor. A WWF lawyer uh,
0: goes on the record and says there will be no apology. (laughs) Not sure there have been, frankly. I, I, you know, you hate to say, I don't like using the word mark. But, this, but fella got, this fella got worked real hard. <laughs> yeah, somebody should have faxed this guy Texas
1: V. Johnson, 1984, man. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I, I already said this is Duggan's best work in years. I mean, he had not done anything. Nah. Because you think about it, like, like Duggan, he became so one-dimensional as time wore on, right? They would just have him feud with some foreign person. Right? Well, the like la- he,
0: The last thing that he did that was even remotely memorable is, is working with Slaughter a little bit, right? Yeah, who sucked
1: and yeah. was, <laughs> was, was, was bad for business. And, you know, he teamed up with, like he was, you know, Duggan was the guy they used to welcome Nikolai Volkov with open arms, you know, into <laughs> democracy. That was lame. You know, Dino Bra- Fuck, you can go back to 1988. Dino Bravo was a shit feud. Um, so... Surprisingly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah R.I.P. Uh, but, you know, it, it's funny. I, I was laughing so... After Duggan gets stretched out, they play this up really big on television. Like it, it feels like that it's the mania direction, or should be the mania direction yep. for Yoko, not Bret Hart. They have um, Duggan's pregnant wife, Deborah, who people would see um, in, in later years on WCW television. Well, what, what is it with Deborah bringing the best of Jim outs uh, when you least <laughs> expect it? Remember that great Goldberg angle? Oh like, yeah the only good thing that aired on to, uh, wcw in 2000 when Duggan challenged heel goldberg like <laughs> yeah. they had deborah out for that but she cuts a promo saying how she's pregnant she doesn't want jim to get back in the ring with yokozuna um but then they have a promo with Duggan's dad
2: who, he doesn't course, give a fuck
1: who, he's like no he should get back in the ring i always love you know uh you know i was watching Duggan shoot interview he did i and it's funny because they play up Duggan beat Duggan's dad being like a four a retired police chief or whatever yeah. in Glen Falls. And I remember Duggan said how pissed off his dad was at him when he got busted with the Coke with the yeah. in 87 in <laughs> the shoot interview. So I was like, Yeah, I, I already like, so they're like, Jim Duggan's dad's a retired police officer. I'm like, Yep, I already knew that from the shoot <laughs> promo. But anyway, um,
0: your thoughts on Jim Duggan and this feud with Yokozuna. Yeah. So this is this is this is Tremendous stuff. Shockingly tremendous stuff. The Duggan had kind of morphed into this kind of like because he was so worthless and had done so little of value. (laughs) He had kind of morphed into like the comfortable futon in the house that has just been around for so long. And then like as soon as like someone spills something on it, you know, it's like, oh man. It it feels like Duggan here is we're finally doing something with him that's actually gonna get some value out of him. He does a really good promo by the fireplace saying that he let everybody down and stuff yes. like that. Um, and since they want the anti-American heat, and they do, I mean, Duggan's, the, the promo's before the angle. It's kind of a tale of two storylines. The, the, the stuff before the big angle is not that great. Duggan's studio does the big uh, the podium promo saying that Yokozuna had bragged about Japanese cars and stereos being better than America's, which I don't remember Yokozuna ever saying, frankly. No. Uh, no, you think, said, yeah, you, think
1: Mr. you just said yosh <laughs> yeah. you think fucking Mr. Fuji they're going to have him cutting promos about stereos
0: <laughs> yeah, come on man And, and, and but, but again this makes sense as a possible mania match because in the vein of okay they do the big heat angle with Crush and it's Crush and Doink they do the big angle with Brutus it's Brutus and Money Inc this is the big heat angles on Duggan and it's against the masses against Brett, which has nothing to do with this at all and there's far more effort in this then there isn't establishing any heat whatsoever with Yoko and the guy he's facing on the biggest show of the year in the main event. And I know that the, the idea is, well, they were going to, you know, they're, they're building something up for afterwards for Yoko Zuna. It's like, who gives, you know, no offense, but like, surely it's more important to build up WrestleMania.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was a house show program. Basically. Yeah, because what's funny is they build this up so strong on television for a couple of weeks. And then it kind of just goes away for a while. It's, it's just a, it's just a house show program. Yeah. All right, so let's well we we've we've shockingly gushed over a Jim Duggan Yokozuna program. Let's get back to the World Wrestling Federation champion Bret Hart. R e s p c t, Liam. Mm-hmm. You touched on, sir. Bret gets a nice Aretha Franklin music video, but again, I, I, you're right. It plays into the larger idea that they want they they saw Bret as this like underdog world champion. I thought the video was very well done, but I don't know. The whole presentation of Brett, you can almost tell he's sort of struggling with confidence on his promos. Now, I think he believed he was going over the whole time.
2: I think he did too.
1: Until like the the 11th hour when he was told what was going to happen. More on that in part two. But did Brett ever like address... This, I can't remember in his book or anything if he was sort of like struggling with his
0: promos during this period because
1: he he doesn't come across as a confident world champion no, I
0: mean, he, no he, champion. he does he does not mention i was look I did look in his book to see if yeah what he said about this period of time um but he doesn't really say anything about his promos as champion or anything like that lacking or, or feeling better i do I, personally i do think he, his confidence builds up a little bit in march and his promos he, he starts speaking with a little bit more verve i don't know if it's just because he feels like he's going to win at wrestlemania and so he kind of like he kind of starts talking up to the role a little bit rather than mm. even like the razor feud um he's, he's he's still where he was before but this is where he starts to kind of he he turns the corner slightly i don't want to make that this too dramatic it's not like he becomes what he becomes in 97 or anything like that but um he does get a little bit better as things go on, but I would be surprised if he's struggling with confidence because he's he's in the deep end. Not much presence
1: on Raw, Brett, no. during this time period. Uh, he, no. he, he does he does beat uh, Fatu, the future Rikishi, in a 15 minute match on March 1st, but that's like you know pretty much all you see of Brett, and it's not really I can't really say it's a featured role. I think it like opens that show. It
0: bad. does open, that, yeah. 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 If you, if you if you watch Raw alone you would be convinced that the WrestleMania main event is Hogan and Beefcake against Money, Inc. If you're not watching Superstars 2, you are completely going to be led to the belief that Hogan is is the headliner because Bret and Yoko doesn't really get much talk other than uh, Gene on the event centers.
1: Yeah, is I mean, my goodness, I mean, you, you would feel like, again, watch TV, it's like Hogan, the, the the tag match in the headline position, and then Yoko and Duggan's going to be second from the top. Yeah, There's like yeah. a couple of weeks where it feels like that. Um, finally, they do do an angle with Brett and Yoko, a contract signing, and it's pretty good. Uh, Brett, you know, um, you, you know, gets the table rammed into him mm-hmm. after the contracts are signed. Then Yoko drags him over to the corner, gives him the bonsai drop. But Brett is able to get up from it, which is a big deal after the angle with Duggan. I, I I do think even though Brett like you know got beat down here, him getting
0: up made him look strong. Yeah, I I really like this angle a great deal because oh, this is like a masterclass in selling from Brett. Like, they're, they're just so people can kind of yeah you know. He gets up from the bonsai drop. So he hits the bonsai drop. The officials back Yoko off. Um, Brett gets to his feet. And they're like, can he get up? Can he get up? And he does get up, but then he falls back down again. And then he gets to his feet, finally, when everybody leaves the ring. And then it takes him, like, three tries to raise the belt above his head. He's selling his chest and his ribs. But, like, he just does it so well that when he finally gets the belt in the air, the place, like, pops. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. Brett survived. And it's like... It was really good. I would have liked Brett to have done a promo to follow up on this and for this to have gotten more, you know, a little bit more time to to breathe after it happened before we get to, you know, WrestleMania and maybe at one more angle or something like that. There was also a great Bobby Heenan line <laughs> at the start of this contract signing Jack Tunney's in there to preside over the uh, the proceedings. And uh, when he gets introduced to Draft President Jack Tunney, and there's a series of boos, <laughs> and he goes. They love him everywhere he goes. Yes.
1: <laughs> J- J- Eva, we talk about like t- like Hogan and Money Inc. Being a war- Jack Tunney still being on WF television yes. in '93 feels like a time warp.
0: Yeah, there, there, there's somebody whose uh, whose job should have been investigated. But yeah. yeah. So uh, at this point, as you're watching this back and you're you're, you're trying to kind of play through. Okay, so now now they're kind of starting to kick this into gear. And again, here comes my next whinge about the build to this. We, you, you touched on it previously that I was going to mention something about the Savage-Yoko match they do at the March to WrestleMania special. This is like the go-home show. Yes. This is like everything. And it's headlined by Yoko and Savage. Yoko wins the match when Fuji trips Savage off the top rope and Yoko hits a belly to belly and it's over. So it's not a totally clean win, but it's it's convincing enough. Does the job. Mm-hmm. Okay, after the match yoko goes for the bonsai drop and savage moves so yoko just crashes to the ground and then savage like, knocks him out the ring with a knee lift to the back to get his heat back and yoko is like incensed and trying to get at him in the ring when all the officials you know kind of fill the scene and i'm just watching this like what in the absolute flying fuck is the point in that at least after you've done the angle with the contract signing have Brett be the one when he goes to do the bonsai drop to make the save for Savage and him to be the one to knock Zuna out the ring as revenge for what happened. And then Yoko's pissed at Brett. Here come the officials. There we go. That's the go home for WrestleMania. See what happens. Maybe Brett's got a chance. Maybe he shouldn't be the underdog. Maybe we're maybe Brett's the guy. Maybe he can pull the sword out of the stone. No, no one else has been able to do it, but Brett's got Yoko ring and look how mad he is. And instead... This just felt like a way to make up to Savage for doing the job, except the job was tainted anyway by Fuji. This was fucking horrible. I hated this.
1: Yeah. It, it, I was shocked that Savage got his heat back against the number one contender. Really, really shocked by that. And yeah, that. so like it's it, again, it's kind of like Yoko has heat with somebody else right before Mania, right? Like yeah, he, that's he it. Yes, yeah, when it should be all about Brett and Yoko. So, all right. Let's talk about how I would have booked a Bret Hart Yokozuna WrestleMania 9 main event.
0: This has been teased for a couple of podcasts.
1: Yeah, and position Brett for the future. Okay, yes. Well, I guess we could also debate if Bret Hart and Yokozuna was the right match in general. Anyway, we've already kind of ta- touched on that. Maybe Brett and Yoko weren't natural opponents, but I'm going to make a layout away that makes it all fit. Okay, you go back to the fall of 92 mm-hmm. when Brett, I- I've been on the record. I I didn't like Bret Hart's first title run. It just felt too out of left field when he won it. He was not an established, as you've talked about, he's kind of an unestablished champion. And then he, of course, winds up getting, you know, just neutered at WrestleMania, which doesn't, I think that doesn't help. And we're going to talk a lot about that in part two when we get to it. But I just, I I just don't like the first runs right off the bat, okay? Now, For Bret Hart to win the title around that time period, the only way I think it would have worked was if he had beaten a more established Ric Flair. Because remember, Ric Flair was dead as a draw too when Hart beat him. Like, if, if Flair had retained at WrestleMania and Hart had been the first guy to beat him or if Flair had won the title back really quick after WrestleMania like we talked about in the 92 series... That's one thing, but, but that, that wasn't the case. So, like, Savage is the champion all summer, and he's dying on the vine. I just don't think Savage to Flare to Brett was something that you could realistically expect to be, like, great, okay? Yeah. So I, I want to just redo the whole thing. And Savage, you had to get the title off. Savage would, just did not draw as champion. The business, I mean, it wasn't all his fault, but business just absolutely fucking hit the skid, as we talked about <laughs> in the summer of 92. Okay. So he has the match with Warrior and he's hurt. And you've got to get the title off Savage, okay, after SummerSlam. I would have debuted Yokozuna earlier than they did. And remember, he was working dark matches in the summer.
0: Yeah, Use that. Yeah,
1: so I would have had the injured Savage. I would have, had, I guess instead of doing Savage Ramon, I would have had him confronted by Yokozuna. And I would have had, they would have done a title match shortly after SummerSlam, Savage and Yokozuna. Mm-hmm. And I would have had Yokozuna beat Randy Savage for the title in like a minute. Ooh. Just like an injured Savage, so he's got an out. But I would have had Yokozuna just completely destroy Randy Savage and win the world title. And My here's God. the thing we know that they believed, and here's the other component we know they believed in Yokozuna, right? Which sort of makes the booking of him in the spring of 93 also head-scratching. Here, you're justifying the belief, and I'm giving him a long run, because I've always been the belief that you you do long-heel world title runs only when you're not convinced who the top babyface should be.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, and clearly in the fall of 92, there was not a... While there were signs that you could put Brett into that position, he wasn't quite ready in October. I think. Okay. No, I agree. All right. So Yokozuna is your world champion by the early fall of 1992. Uh, on the last podcast of '92, I laid out my Survivor Series main event. Okay, I would have had that exact same match, but I did notice I didn't know it to say who was the champion going to be, and it wouldn't. <laughs> and I'll I'll bring it back here for people who missed out. Your main event of Survivor Series 92 would have been a traditional – I hate that term – would have been a Survivor Series match. Savage, perfect replacing the Warrior, Bret Hart, and Marty Jannetty as the babyfaces against Yoko, Flair, Ramon, and Shawn Michaels, okay? And you, you had asked me privately, well, how are you going to book through this? Well, there's going to be a lot of fucking lame DQs and count-outs, Liam. I regret to inform you. <laughs> All right, there's going to be a lot of fucking lame DQs and count but it's going to come down to Brett Hart is the lone remaining babyface against Sean and Yoko. Brett pins Sean. Okay. Um, I know Sean's the Intercontinental Champion, but you know what? Brett pinned the Intercontinental Champion Sean at Survivor Series anyway, so I'm not concerned about that. Nope. And Brett kind of, you know, puts that. And it comes down to Brett and Yoko. Yoko's never been knocked off his feet. We know they fucking do an angle like this several months later. Bret Hart knocks Yoko off his feet, out of the ring and wins the elimination match by count-out. So I'm stealing not only the Dugan feud, but the <laughs> SummerSlam 93 finish, but I think it's okay, because Yoko has been built up to this point as this unstoppable monster, and my God, how about this guy, Bret Hart is the one who just knocked him on his ass for the first time, and he has won a pay-per-view main event where maybe he didn't necessarily come in as the featured babyface, but he, by God, leaves it as the featured babyface. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Then... You've got the Rumble, and they clearly have this idea, and obviously it's stuck for the last thirty years of the winner of the Rumble challenging for WrestleMania. Okay, to me, that's such a thing. It works better when the babyface wins it, anyway, right? Yeah, it does. Well, Bret Hart fucking wins the '93 Rumble then, with like um, like, and you could have him break fucking Flair's record if you want. Oh God, yeah. I mean, you don't have to, but like the whole dynamic of Yoko going into that match is like the overwhelming favorite and just winning in completely dominant fashion sucked. Like, I think Brett being a guy who, hey, I knocked Yoko Zuna off his feet. I want to be the one to challenge the, you know, this guy at WrestleMania and his only path being winning the Rumble. All of a sudden that match becomes more interesting. Yeah. And he wins.
0: It's the concept we said before, building the guy up for the for the threat as opposed to building the guy down.
1: And, and Yoko could have like beat Sav like he could have beat Savage at the rumble. Savage could be like, well this time I'm healthy, the knees back. You know, you could have just done that and Yoko yep. would have won again, obviously. But then you've got so you've got Yoko and Brett, but the roles are flipped. Yoko's champion, Brett is challenger, and Brett beats Yokozuna for the title at WrestleMania. And what I like about this even more is you can evaluate Brett fairly in the bill. Like, is this guy moving any metrics? Is there is there an uptick in interest with the idea of Brett Hart becoming the WWF champion? Yeah. And if there really wasn't, if it's flats or people weren't, dig- I don't think it would have been for the record. You could say, "Well, oh, fuck. Okay. I mean, I, I don't think you're going to build Brett and have him lose at WrestleMania maybe. I mean, maybe you could. I mean, because you've got Hogan in your back pocket. Always yeah. right. Which obviously they valued. So I don't know. Maybe I guess Brett could have lost. But I would have had Brett beat Yokozuna. Because my belief is he would have gotten over in that scenario. And you did need to not just rely on Hogan at that point. You needed to create... You know, we've been fuck talking about this since 1990. You needed to create a baby-faced. And you're not going to replace a Hogan. Obviously, it would be four more years till they found a guy who could be better than Hogan. And it was somebody completely different. Yep. But... Somebody to carry the company as a babyface that wasn't Hulk Hogan. And, yeah. so, and, and so you have put Bret Hart wins his first title at WrestleMania. He beat the unbeatable, you know, foreign men. I know, again, you're not going to, you know, even though one's champion, one's challenger. Now you've, swip, you know, you've still got the messy dynamic where you can't like lean into the USA versus Japan thing. But I think that is such a better way to, for Bret to win the title for the first time.
0: That's miles better. It's miles better than what they do where they, they rush the belt to him and then they've got like, okay, well, now we've got the belt on him. Now we actually need to make him look like he's a big star because mm-hmm. yeah, this is just the the wrong way around. It's like he has to be built up and then when he takes the mantle, everything fits, everything's in its correct place and everything's great. I, I love the idea of Yoko as the guy to be and, and him not having to lean on the Japanese thing because it's just like he's Vader. Basically, <laughs> he's just Vader. He's just this unbeatable monster. And who's going to be the guy that can beat him? And it's it turns out, Brett's the guy who looks like he can. He goes through hell. He has to, he has to win the rumble to get it, and he does. Um, you know, you can even have a thing afterwards where Fuji does not want Brett to wrestle Yoko.
1: Yes, absolutely. He's
0: the one guy who refused to defend the belt against, and. You know, you know, okay, great. And then like, then all right then, well then the only way that I can do it is if I go through 29 people, and then he does. Yeah. And it starts. And the only the only there's really no downside to this scenario other than the fact that if Vince was of the mindset to look for Hogan's help, you can just tell that like would they you know, would Vince have been able Would to, they have seen it through? Would would they have seen it through? Would Vince have committed all the way because you know, what happens happens because he wants to go back to Hogan rather than commit to the new crop. So I would, yeah, who knows how it would happen if they played it out all the way? I think that's got so much more of a chance to work. So much more of a chance to work. I, I think that we're talking about Brett's run as champion completely differently if they do like that.
1: Yes. And to that point, my long term goal with Hogan back in the fold is it's going, you want to build that after Brett leaves WrestleMania as champion. You want to build the 10th WrestleMania. Yeah. Brett versus Hogan. Yeah. And, you know, this time it's different than Hogan Warrior. I, you can do babyface. Again, you've got a year to see how this plays out and get the dynamic right. Yeah. My view is it's going to be babyface versus babyface again, but it's different this time. Hogan is the challenger, and he would have been a guy who would have come in and made sporadic appearances throughout 93, worked the house shows you know, kind of in that 1B, okay, Um, you know, he, he could have done a feud with, he could have done his own feud with Yoko. He could have done his own feud with Giant Gonzalez. Those, those feuds that you talked about, those are, you know, again, people are going to roll their eyes and say, oh, that match would fucking suck. Who cares? Okay. <laughs> I got news for you. 1993 Hulk Hogan's not going to fucking give you a good match. No matter okay? Okay. I don't give a fuck if he's in there with fucking 1957 Luthez, Okay. He's not going to give you a good match, folks. So, but he's still... And, like, along the way, this is what I would have done. Bret, to build to a Hogan WrestleMania 10 match, he starts going through maybe some of the past champions. I would have done the Backlund heel turn a year early. Mm, Okay. I would have done Savage turning heel. Yeah. I I cannot believe you leaned into the fucking Terry Funk idea, because I did, too. I would have had... (laughs) This is why I want to leave Savage off WrestleMania 9. I would have had him be jealous that Bret Hart wins the title at WrestleMania 9 and Savage was left off the card. That would have been my impetus for that feud.
0: Oh, it's beautiful. That's beautiful.
1: And and, and Bret, he, he he beats back. And so Bret, as the champion, is beating back, or beating back, is beating guys who have been former champions. He beats a heel-turned-backwind. He beats a heel-turned-Savage. At some point, you probably have him go over Luger. Right, even though Luger mm-hmm. wasn't really, or, or Luger could, Luger could be a Hogan opponent. Luger, you're going to feed Luger to either Brett or Hogan over yeah, the course of '93. And, and the the key is here, and boy, are we going to learn this in in part two? You don't want to put yourself in a position where you where Hogan is in a position of power, and you're <laughs> fucked. So, to me. <laughs> Obviously, the the problem with doing Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania ten and putting Bret Hart over is Hulk Hogan, and we're going to talk about this part. Very clearly, did not want to do that. No. But no. if you have Bret as the champion, okay, and he doesn't like. Have to beat hulk hogan and hogan refuses and were to leave you you could go on your television and be like well hulk hogan was just too big of a chicken shit to challenge bret hart i guess bret hart (laughs) bret hart is such a dominant champion hulk hogan left i mean you, you would say it in a wwf way but you would say it yeah instead what they did is they put themselves in a position where you neutered bret you neutered yoko and you had to come crawling back to him and you want to avoid that i think my situation again yes I have the benefit of hindsight, whereas they didn't. But to me, I think it makes all the sense in the world. And I don't think it's unrealistic that they could have done it at the time.
0: No, no, it's not unrealistic. The, 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 there are moving parts, but you know, Yoko, they do... It's like a taping in like July, July 21st when they have Kokina, not Yokozuna, mm-hmm. doing like a dry run of, of an interview with Gene, with Affa as his manager. And so he's around yes he's he's there and they make the decision at that time it's like okay again it's maybe it's too hindsight in the sense of like you clearly can tell they think the warrior is going to be the answer maybe to Mm be flair but that that was the plan at the time yeah yeah that was the time but it's around it's october as we said that that completely falls apart so even if they were going with the idea of okay let's get it to yoko maybe yoko is going to work with warrior That is like still something they could have like been projecting in their minds before that falls apart and they decide then, okay, now let's go with Brett, because we can't go with Warrior, we don't want to go with Savage. It still could have worked out that way anyway.
1: Yeah, agreed. And then, you know, Yoko gets the long run that he got anyway, Mm -hmm. but it's not like with the, you know, the shenanigans of Mania Nine. Brett was built the right way. Where he doesn't look like a chump at WrestleMania nine. And you know, if 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 Hogan is willing to play ball and stick around and, and you can placate to him by having him feud with Yoko or Giant Gonzalez or Lexus, you can do it, but it's not in a way that's really harming
0: the promotion where you're subservient to Hogan. No, really, in that in that lineup, the only person with long with upside that I would consider potential difference-making, big potential, is Lex. Because I think that Lex and Hogan is probably the way to go.
1: Yes. And as we're going to talk about, Luger, <laughs> well, he doesn't really get over his heel. He do not get over his baby face either. So <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, the fact that, oh, Lex Luger just loses to Hulk Hogan, what happened? I don't really care, <laughs> to be honest with you. Again, that's kind of cheating because I, I have the benefit of hindsight. But, I mean, I mean, I don't know how anyone with the pulse could have looked, you know, as... Luger was, you know, going on in
0: early 93. Like, oh, this this is really working.
2: No,
1: and I mean, then,
0: the thing with the Luger turn in, in the middle of the year is that he's kind of circling. The drain is a heel anyway.
1: And boy, are we going to talk about that because there's a point oh, yeah. made, But that's so, oh my God, it's, you know, it's only, I guess, at this point. So we're, we're through March. That's only three months from now. But Jesus, does a lot happen. And we're going to talk about all of it in part two. Yes, of this 1993 series, Liam. Part two will cover all of the fallout from WrestleMania Nine through King of the Ring and the end of Hulkamania. Unbelievable. At least for
0: eight and a half years. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but is there anything you'd like to say before we wrap up here?
0: No, I think that pretty much sums it up. I, I, I love this. Idea. It's been very fun to look back on the potential WrestleMania Nine. I think that's kind of like the one thing that I do want to take away because next time we're going to be talking so much about the fallout of, of what happens at WrestleMania 9, the reality of it, what you know, what happens with Raw, what happens at King of the Ring in the end of Hulkamania. This is probably as good a time as any to say, you know what, WrestleMania 9 didn't have to stink.
1: It didn't. It, it felt like, you know what, because because you and I both came to like the card just does, like watching the TV. It's funny. Like we talk about, oh, wow, that's better. I thought eh, that's worse than I thought. One opinion that did not change for me re watching this television was that the WrestleMania card sucks.
2: <laughs> that stinks. It like, stinks. like you're
1: watching, you're like, oh my God, like this is by far, like you, you it's just, it's so obvious to, to the point that I made the story I told about that guy who's not like a hardcore fan saying, oh, this must have been where wrestling had its downturn. It's like so obvious. And I, I don't know if it, ha- you know, it was inevitable that WWF was going to hit the skids a little bit because of all the scandals and whatnot, and, and Hogan just wasn't what it used to be, and they didn't have that next big star yet. But I think the lesson learned here and what we've hopefully been able to convey to the listeners is there were a lot of moving parts in these first three months of 1993. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. just weren't matched up correctly.
0: No, and, and it's, it's, it's a combination the way that I read this three months is it's a combination of, you know, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of different agendas that you're trying to kind of play through at the same time, mixed in with execution that is kind of lacking compared to what we've seen in the past from this company in terms of clarity, in terms of a clear focus for what you want. That focus is, it's been very obvious. I mean, since like... before, well, really, realistically, since that period we talked about after WrestleMania 8 where things just go to hell, um, creatively speaking, they are reactionary and they're scrambling and they're trying to find the answers and they're not really taking as much care as they had in the past about driving their focus home because their focus is changing so much because they're looking for the answer all the time. And that very much feels like, again, like we say, like the things that we've mentioned here through the course of this about things in the wrestlemania 9 build that are not necessarily great and kind of create that mixed message about what this company is and what you're trying to get over with these new characters very much feels like that's kind of the prevailing thought going to wrestlemania 9 and as you head into wrestlemania 9 it's just a weak a weak card a weak main event a weak hogan comeback match not a lot feeling strong and we're gonna get to the show next
1: And we also have a very confusing WrestleMania hype video, which, as you know, would go on to be Linda McMahon's theme. (laughs) Um, This, you know, the whoa, whoa, (laughs) WrestleMania, you all know it. Well, this video features the Nasty Boys, the Big Boss Man, Duggan, Papa Shango, Skinner, and Damian Demento. What do all those people have in common? (laughs) None are on the Mania card. (laughs) And, and it seemed like it was a recy- recycled from that Survivor Series video we talked about. Because the video actually starts out with Mean Gene saying, who will survive? Yeah. What an odd, you know, it's like, obviously it becomes the WrestleMania theme for years to come. Do, 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 do. You all know it, right? You're going to hear it in a second. Yes, uh, you will. But isn't that like fucking odd that they
0: like... It's just Simon Cowell farting out a hit. That's what it is. like, as he said, he did not interview. Like, it was easy. It didn't have to be great. It was wrestling. You just slap the license on the box, and it'll. And that was the perception. It will sell in the UK. And that's what this was. It was just banged together, farted out. Doesn't matter if it's consistent or even good.
1: How about the big boss, man? Telling his like about want to be a law enforcement officer. That's a forgotten verse in that tune. (laughs) All right, Liam. I think we're all good. Hit the music. Uh, We'll be back uh, because, spoiler alert, everything we laid out that they should do at WrestleMania 9, that's not what they did, is it?
0: (laughs) It certainly isn't. And we Uh, have got an absolutely jam-packed part two coming up. Stay with us. Check us out on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash SCG radio. Keep it locked on Spotify iTunes, and Podbean. Kyle, any parting words after a fantastic, long recording talking the first three months of 93?
1: (laughs) Just hit the goddamn
0: music already. Alrighty, thank you very much for listening. We are out of here for the great Kyle Ross. I am Liam O'Rourke, and we'll talk to you again soon.